that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective, lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to LowerTheFriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's LowerTheFriction.com. Hello, one and all. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. Welcome to the weekly Secrets of Saturn live stream. I got the band back together. We got Crow, Baldini, Wayne, and myself once again this week to discuss... Flying saucers, ooh. Anyone have any fun opening statements? Yeah, I guess. I... <laughs> Everybody does. All right, one at a time, boys. I guess I get to be Ringo since I'm the only one that plays oh, drums, Ringo. I suppose, out of the. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know since we've got the band all back together. But <laughs> yeah, we're going to explore UFOs and all the fun things that go along with it. So it should be an interesting conversation here tonight. I always enjoy tearing this, or I mean, talking about this topic. <laughs> All right, I heard lots of voices at once. Who wants? Oh, I was, I was making a joke, Blues Brothers reference. Um, that the moment has passed. The moment has passed. All right. Anyway, so shall we just get right into it? Because there's a lot to this document. I already put the link towards the top, but since we have about a zillion more people here than we did before, I will drop it again. There's one for YouTubes and one for the D-Lives. Well, I, I, can, I can set up a kind of frame of mind. Sure. Um, it, it must have been, I don't know, 2013, 14, so long ago I can't recall when places, production companies from Hollywood started trying to get a hold of me uh, because they wanted that footage. And I hadn't really thought about it, but I began to realize that my footage was better than the crap they were pushing on all the UFO TV shows. And that began to tell me something. 
Um, and then when they went for, you know, when it came down that I wasn't interested in contracting with them in any ways, it became, we want some of your footage. So I said, well, what footage do you want? And you think, well, they're going to want the lunar wave, right? It's not what they want. Uh, you think they're going to want, you know, they wanted like the, the light flashes on the moon. They wanted or around the moon. They wanted things like this. And it was pretty clear that the footage they want wasn't even the best footage they could ask. I mean, if you were really a UFO show, wouldn't you ask for the shooting orb in a chemtrail? Wouldn't you ask for the boomerang? Um, and that's not what was going on. And so that's just a, a mindset you know, to, to put people in the kind of frame of mind where we're about to go here. Well, you know, it kind of blows my mind that these people want all this material and you and I released the best documentary on planet earth as far as real footage of UFO type things. And, um, nobody seems to be all that interested in it. Kind of weird, huh? Well, well, if we would have titled it UFOs coming directly probe you, it probably would have went off the charts and it would have been backed by all the mainstream and they would have thanked us for the psychological operation we just participated in. Crazy but UFO instead, images. Get the UFO. Yeah. Get, get, get the theremin <laughs> out. <laughs> instead, it's the exact opposite. There's too much common sense. Uh, this is all in our atmosphere, guys, that and it's all human tech. <laughs> that, that's not going to sell many papers. No, man, it's supposed to be aliens. Aliens. That's <laughs> outer space. I swear to you, they came from Mexico. <laughs> There's a lot of aliens in Mexico, you know. A uh, lot of UFOs and alien stuff in Mexico. Aliens. So is that yeah. what Space Force no, is for, to build a really big wall around the planet? Yeah, you got to keep those <laughs> undocumented aliens out. <laughs> oh, like a firmament, you mean? Oh. Going to build a dome. It's going to be great. It's going to yep. be the best dome ever. No dome is going to be better. Everyone says so. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Can I see your id? I mean, your ID? Yes, we have the best ids anywhere. Ask anybody. They talk about our ids all the time. We do the best probes around here. Oh, my. <laughs> hmm. We're going to well, analyze it. Set favors <laughs> to fabulous. Rectify the situation. <laughs> all right. I'll stop. All right, I can tell everybody's overtired today. <laughs> yeah. I got coffee, though, and it's damn good. I don't got coffee. Oh, you ain't got none of that good. coffee. I just had... Ain't got no... I had lots of coffee at dinner with my daughter <clears throat> a little while ago. All right, so the document is called UFOs, What to Do, put out by the Bland Corporation. I mean the Rand Corporation. Rand, baby. So randy. Originally published November of 1968. So, okay, just let's set the stage for that. The White Album was, is out. I was two years old. <laughs> Some crazy guy named Hendrix is broken onto the scene. A dude named Morrison is screaming his head off at you, being the Lizard King. What else we got going on? Um, I'm already working on my beard at this point. Yeah, that right? <laughs> <laughs> Beatles are still together. But as I said, the White Album. This is White Album time. Yeah. White Album for our white paper. Okay, so... <clears throat> Let's get down here. No, so there you go. November 1968. Okay. Are we going to do the introduction, their version of the cremation of care? They're going to try to take care of common sense in one fell yeah. swoop. Here we swell, go. Swell, it, it, yep. it does. It starts with a quote from Gustav Nahn, who I, um, I can't say I know who that is, to be honest with you. Common sense is the quintessence of the experiences and prejudices of its time. It is a most unreliable advisor when one is confronted with a perfectly new situation. Uh -huh. Oh, my God. 
the the exact opposite of what this man is saying is correct. <laughs> this is this is I mean you can string fancy words together. You can even get some 50 centers in there, but it doesn't change the fact that what you just said is common sense doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Right. Uh-huh. And you'll also notice the uh, subtle use of the word quintessence there. Quintessence for people yeah. Quintessence for people who are unaware is actually a synonym for ether. So yes, they're, they're slapping you, they're slapping <laughs> you in the blue. face and poking you in the eye right here too. And blue light first, special, blue light special, in, Project Blue Book on sale on aisle six. <laughs> blue book, but blue beam. And don't forget in the I'll first take it on Blu-ray. you can already start counting the ways. <laughs> there it is. Oh. Twenty years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the UFOs to play. Mm-hmm. Sounds like something my cat would do and just send them flying. All right, so UFOs, or unidentified flying objects, or flying saucers as they are often called, have been on the mind of the public for at least the last 22 years. Now, since this document came out in 1968, we are talking 1946, 1947, 1948. For a number of reasons, we know little more about them now than we did at the outset. There exists a great amount of misinformation about the phenomenon, not only in the minds of the public, but among educated groups, such as scientists as well. It is the purpose of this series of essays to describe various aspects of the phenomenon, make clear my prejudices and the reasons for them, and to suggest a means of proceeding on this interesting and potentially very significant problem. But first, a few words about the term UFO. J.A. Hynek, an astronomer having continuous involvement with UFO study for over 20 years, defines UFOs as any reported aerial or surface visual sighting or radar return which remains unexplained by conventional means even after examination by competent persons. This definition specifies neither flying nor objects. I would agree, but would prefer to replace or radar return with or instrumental observation and even after examination by competent persons to even after competent examination by qualified persons. This then is the definition I have adopted in the five essays that follow. All right, so there is our opening statement. So so let's talk about the phenomena, but please phrase all responses as if you were a gravity believer. Well, (laughs) that's pretty much what's going on. Yep, that's exactly. Those are the competent persons right there. Did you read Einstein? Okay, man, we got a competent one here. There is no ether. Yep, we're yeah, good to go. he also uh, recognizes right in the beginning phrases here that I, he, he wants to make clear his own prejudices and his reasons for believing them. So, <laughs> I mean, it, this is not he an does ob- admit objective it. Uh, review right here. And, and he's not even competent by the measure there because he uses the word quintessence, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Einstein's not down when there is no quintessence. All right, those familiar with the UFO literature are aware that reports of sightings did not begin with Arnold's sighting in 1947, but that phenomenology, much the same as is reported today, can be found in documents going back to the earliest times. Let's see, blah, 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 blah. What was reported? Luminous disks, shields, globes, and elongated objects in the sky, sometimes alone, sometimes in large numbers. Occasional descriptions of interactions with the observers are also mentioned, including landings and seeing and communicating with occupants. The latter events especially were almost always interpreted in a religious contest. Context, excuse me. A recent example is the repeated appearance of a typical UFO phenomenology at Fatima, Portugal, on six successive months in 1917. 
The October 13th phenomenon was the best reported and was witnessed by a crowd of about 70,000 persons, including a number of scientists, reportists, report, well, I can't speak today, reporters, atheists, and agnostics, as well as faithful Catholics. One of the scientifically curious was Dr. A. Garrett of the University of Coimbra. Rain? What's that? Rain, which had been falling that day, ceased and the crowd looked up to see the sun, quote-unquote, now visible through the heavy clouds. Professor Garrett wrote, I turned toward this, which was attracting all eyes, and I could see it like a disc with a clear-cut edge, with a vivid rim, luminous and shining, but without hurting one. The comparison I have heard at Fatima with a disc of dull silver does not seem to me exact. It was a clearer, more vivid, richer color, and with shifting tints like the luster of a pearl. It was not at all like the moon on a clear, transparent night, for one saw and felt it like a living star. Nor was it spherical like the moon, nor did it have the same quality of lighter and less light. It looked like a burnished wheel cut out of mother of pearl. Nor could it be confused with the sun seen through a fog. There was no fog. This disk spun dizzily round. It was not the twinkling of a star. It whirled round upon itself with mad rapidity. The sun, per preserving the celerity of its... Rotation detached itself from the firmament and advanced, blood-red, towards the earth, threatening to crush us with the weight of its vast and fiery mass. These moments made a terrifying impression. Unquote. The relationship of the old phenomenology to religion are discussed by somebody. I don't know who that is. All right. Anybody got anything yet, or shall I continue on? Uh, sounds like they're conflating the sun with the UFO here for part of it, and then for part of it, trying to separate it from the sun. Well, that was called the miracle of the sun at Fatima. Uh, that's the prophecies of Fatima, if you recall. Um, the three kids um, that were—that's um, this whole that whole conversation right there was about the the miracle of Fatima. You can have a look about that. Um, but it is interesting that they bring up the um, <clears throat> the religious or spiritual. Uh, connection and uh, much of the early research that I did in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, always seemed to that seemed to be an element of it, which I thought <laughs> very interesting at the time. Still thinking that you know the original story that was a uh, extraterrestrial phenomenon. So they've been putting that uh, in there from the beginning. Well, by definition, it was extraterrestrial, right? It was off. Yeah, the that's ground. what. The, yeah, that's what. <laughs> well done, exactly. Uh, uh, well, they're not mincing words, and I'll further point out that in the opening description, they point out that there was some atheists there and some agnostics. And by the way, we had some good Catholics. Why yeah. wouldn't that be followed by people who were religious or Christians? Or well, because at the time, that that particular one again was in the context of Catholicism. There's um, your problem. You know, there's your problem. Paint that box a color, man. Is that box blue? Let's see him break out the blue box. I'm waiting for the blue box. I find it interesting that they um, related the Fatima thing with UFOlogy because um, it was really kind of considered a, uh, a miracle that kids were supposed to have met with uh, the Virgin Mary prior. And then she promised there would be uh, an event of some kind. And that's why everybody had showed up. And um, then there was this, um, they called it the miracle of the sun or whatever um, that seemed to spin or, or whatever. So I just I find it interesting that they relate that to ufology uh, at all. <laughs> I had never heard of it uh, being considered uh, seriously from the scientific community. Um, that's part of, part and parcel of the same thing. I just find it interesting that this, uh, what was his name, this Dr. A. Garrett, the 
the one that he quoted here in the document about the whole Fatima event there, it looks like in his statement he's using like extremely coded language uh, and even makes mention of the firmament I noticed in that. this language. Yeah. So uh, if you're looking, you could, you could see like some of the symbology like he's he's using in his description of what's going on here yeah, and he makes reference to the sun right and he he tries <laughs> to separate uh, uh you know th- this thing from actually being the sun and he also compares it to the moon which you know you could make whatever inferences there you want and then he talks about its color and the luster of pearl and you know the mother of pearl, transparent, clear, transparent night. It looks like a lot of this language he's using. It suggests to me that he's he's giving a message to somebody, uh, and the sun preserving the celerity of its rotation detached itself from the firmament and advanced blood red towards the earth, threatening to crush us with the weight of its vast and fiery mass. I mean, who who speaks like this? Well, what's like, interesting about the well, this is also 1917. This is Latin, right? It comes from cellar, um, to be swift or fast or something like that in Latin, celerity. And then they're talking about all the good or religious Catholics, not just the general people who are religious. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm spot on with you, Wayne. You can, you can see what's going on here. And by the way, if you're going to act like there's a firmament, how are you going to act like something came through the firmament? Because that, my friends, by definition, is separating the waters from the waters. So mm-hmm. you've got some flying submarines up there. You've got some splendid to do. <laughs> well, we all live in a yellow submarine, you know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Ringo doesn't lie, even if he does look like Yasser Arafat. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. All right. The modern period of the phenomenon began with a widely publicized sighting made by Kenneth Arnold in Washington State in 1947. A study by Bletcher of North American reports over the four-week period bracketing the Arnold sighting lists 853 events, including 38 sightings made before Arnold's heavily publicized sighting. Because the earlier reports seemed to suggest airborne craft of unusual appearance and kinematics, the problem came to rest with the newly organized United States Air Force. Initial fears were that the country were being overflown, was being overflown by advanced foreign aircraft, possibly on intelligence missions. The latter was suggested by the large number of sightings from the White Sands, New Mexico area. Well, we know what was going on out there. And from the vicinity of the Hanford, Washington atomic plant. There it is, man. Everything you just read at the end of there has to do with Primo Materia and the lie, the alchemical lie that's going to be told in the three-step part, which we're going to talk about tonight on Crow Triple Seven Radio, the killing of the king, mm. and then the revelation of method. So I'll ask a simple question of Mr. McCroy. Mr. McCroy, could you please do a background investigation on Mr. Kenneth Arnold? Uh, I believe the guy was tied to Army intelligence, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, CIA. Uh, I indeed. think CIA is admitted at this point. He, he did flights for them. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, you know, is, he was kind is, of a shady character. He received a lot of money from unknown sources and, and lived a kind of lavish lifestyle that really didn't fit with what his uh, alleged occupation and stuff was. That much we do know. And, uh, you know, he he he's the one that really set this whole UFO uh, publicity thing or, or yep. this whole social engineering narrative into motion uh, when it comes down to it. It was his story that broke uh, 
that uh, was really the one that kind of put this all on the map. I'd be willing to bet that if someone took apart the name Kenneth Arnold in the etymological way, uh, that you could tie it directly through onotomology or whatever's the proper way, black magic of names, you'll find it, but let's, let's call a spade a spade. So Kenneth Arnold does this, reports it to the press, supposedly some press dude makes up from the statements Arnold gives the idea of flying saucers. Does anyone know? how long it's going to be before that word, that phrase is badly needed near the 33rd parallel. I think it's a little over a week. Before Something like the, that. And yeah. so the Roswell incident is also using the Mystic Southwest, which we will cover, which is lifted right out of King Kill 33 by Michael A. Hoffman and Shelby Downard. Um, and what you're looking at here, when they take the time to point out the vicinity of White Sands, they're doing an alchemical mind F on everybody that's what's going on here and he the 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 main dude you know what maybe i'll just shut up and i'll take his name apart where you guys go at this i'll see what i can do well and you right. also you also probably want to note that there's the uh, the secondary mind f uh of um the, the again white sands missile range and of course um hanford uh that's where the two places of course these are atomic facilities and it was uh, has long been said uh, that you know they uh, tend to circle around or or visit uh, nuclear facilities, and that was certainly true uh, in Texas. There's a um, Glen Rose nuclear facility there, and we would see uh, frequently uh, these lights and that sort of stuff. But again, it sort of ties back to the the idea of um, they're interested in our um, nuclear weapons and uh, nukes and that sort of stuff. So it it's further supports the patina of legitimacy of nukes. Uh, Baldini, Baldini, what's Wald mean? W A L D? You know? Yeah. What is it? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, you, you're answering. I see. Well, here's the thing. Uh, it just took me two seconds to come up with the the German Dutch English derivative of the last name oh, Wald. Arnold. Yeah. So so basically, Wald is is that related Good to forest? It, for, oh, it, forest. Oh, oh, of course. Like a I I would have said Wald. Um, so it's. It's from the Arn Eagle, and then it goes on to say power and brightness. <laughs> so okay. He's basically mm. flying like eagles do, reporting about this really quick, bright thing. That's his last name breakdown, and I haven't even got around to Kenneth. I'm not even going to bother. Well, Kenneth, <laughs> Kenneth I think, uh, if you want to look at Kenneth, it's probably the same root as Kennedy. So, uh, you know, there might be something to well, that, too. Well, considering this is, okay, here, I had to do it. Now that Wade's got it going. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, an English given name, surname. <clears throat> the name is anglicized from two, you're absolutely right, two entirely different Gaelic, count the ways, Kennedy, personal names. Oh, my God. So this is actually tied to the killing of the king because Kanaic, or however the hell they say it in Gaelic, uh, also means ugly head wound. So there they're using the, they're attaching this alchemical spell to the damn killing of the king, which is the, the, the it's unreal. Damn, yeah. Wayne, yeah. I uh, I, uh, but he pulled that one right out of the hat. <laughs> yeah, I could kind of pick these things out after a while. But uh, just, another thing I would point out is there's kind of an alchemical thing going on as well because uh, one of the big uh, places that's mentioned here through all of this is white sands which is the opposite of black sand mm. so i mean there's a, a clear inversion and invoking of alchemy right there uh when you look at that so i mean you're, you're talking about an inversion of an alchemical principle uh by just using the name white sands uh, as compared to the the black or the black sands that is right. the very definition of alchemy you know uh, so it, it's it's one of those things where they're 
they're really using this whole idea and, and they t- tied to the killing of the king. Uh, so you're looking at this was intended to be a mind it, screw from the get go. Right. You know what I think about, Wayne, because you're pointing out that if you're going to supposedly pop a nuke, you're doing the blackening, you're doing the Negrito or some version of the disillusionment. And this and this procedure that runs up to the killing of the king in 63 um, what they're doing is destroying the, the first material, the perma material, which is actually a lie because there is no nukes. Um, but there are some damn big explosions going on there. But if you think about the Negredo, it would be black and black is the absence of all color. But white is a different story, isn't it? It draws in like if you put a black cover over a pool um, to heat it, it's because it's absorbing everything. Um, everything's getting sucked in. But when you use a white cover to, over a pool as an example, it reflects back all the different seven spectral colors. Um, so that's probably what's going on in my mind uh, with the white sands. But it's at this, is, I, I wouldn't have even, I, I knew it was all in the same area. I figured it was using the mystical toponymy of the land of enchantment, which it is. But I wouldn't have guessed in a million years this too is tied to the killing of the king. Oh, there you go. It's amazing how all these things all tie together. And all, it, 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 all you need to do is be able to understand uh, this concept of uh, the onomatology or whatever the proper name of the the phrase is of this picking apart words and uh, us, you know figuring out their original meanings and right. yeah and assigning it to one another. Uh, I refer to this as what I call the phonetic Kabbalah because that's essentially what this is, and I've. Uh, found references to this in several places now, uh, and I think it's an older idea than the word onomatology, uh, phonetic Kabbalah, Kabbalah spelled with a C, and there's a difference between there, a marked difference between Kabbalah with a K, Kabbalah with a C, and there's also Kabbalah spelled with a Q. I think there's 24 different spellings for yeah, the word, like that. and they're all slightly different to one degree or another, but Wh- which Kabbalah is- with a C is the the one that's based on the phonetics. Well, this is all going to relate. So what you're getting into is like we say words have meaning, sounds like, is like. Um, that's the phonetic idea, sounds like, is like. But uh, what you're referencing, Wayne, is really some version of what's called the twilight language or the language of the birds or the green language. Uh, not clear exactly where the divisions lie and why there's this many different names. But this is how you can take any word uh, and take it apart. And it's taken apart in three or four different ways. Phonetic, taking it apart phonetically is one way. Um, but another way is what it, what is it actually like? If, if you took the last name Mitchell to make the example, and I know this because a guy in the Marine Corps was trying to tell me that I was going to hell. So as a joke, I said a thing to him and it freaked him out. And I was just doing it as a joke. And I said, what are you telling me? I'm going to hell. Your last name's Mitchell, which <laughs> actually translates to might see hell. So I thought it was just a funny thing to say, but that is an example of of what Wayne is alluding to in the phonetic language, sometimes called the twilight language. Although I'm I'm not clear on exactly where the division is in those things. You know, that's and something we mentioned a lot. Clear, uh, Why don't you guys yeah. take a moment to talk about the what the twilight language is, the all that, the bird language? Like, just give us a, a quickie on that. Well. And my view, I'm not real clear on a lot of the different aspects of it either. I'm just, you know, in the discovery phases of figuring this stuff out or trying to get to the roots of these things. But uh, from my view, uh, what this is, is it's a secret form of communication, first and foremost, between people that are uh, highly initiated into the the several orders of uh, 
you know these these various secret societies and such like that only the very topmost uh, members are are even taught these things or have some remote clue how to read these things and a lot of it's tied up in symbology a lot of it's tied up in words and phrases and numbers number encodings too that's a huge part of it and a mix of all these different things it's referred to in a lot of different aspects and a lot of different uh, by a lot of different names in a lot of ways it's called the language of the birds uh it's called the green language uh it's a lot of times it's oftentimes some of this stuff is associated with the language of gypsies mm-hmm. as strange as that sounds mm. uh but they, well, they had, I guess, the, the history of the gypsies, they, they used a lot of different uh, strange phrases and, and you know, m- mashed together words from various languages that uh, seemed strange to people who didn't speak the language, but there was hidden meaning in those magic. words. And yeah, magic right. and the gypsy. And the, the idea of the evil eye or, or what I call intentional magic or a magic driven by human intention. Right. Precisely. Including so. some sigil and um, uh, symbolic stuff as well so it was a mixture well i can i I can actually add something there wayne um i'm getting better at taking things apart i've been working at this for a while um we might actually have a guest who's kind of gone down this road i don't have a teacher i've taught myself but what i find is when you get to a point of knowing you you pretty much know a thing even though no one's told or confirmed and so i'm slowly getting there but what i've recognized is the idea of a twilight language is before twilight the sun's up you know you you can see things you can identify things but as the sun sets at twilight it starts to be hidden and that relates to a word because you've been taught that a word like i i don't know i can't even think of one off the top of my head just a A word yeah a cult sure um, you've been taught to look at it in a certain way. And with the work we've done, most people say, well, why is there a CC? There's a 33 right there, obviously, in a cult. That's a whole other thing going on and a, a used communication method. But when you look at OC, O-C, what does that mean? Is there an ancient root? Did the big boys like French, um, Scandinavian, the, the, the longtime um, societies have a meaning for that? set of work for that whether it was a prefix or otherwise if you break it up by prefix suffix and and you go to each meaning what you actually get is a phrase every time that you can pull this off you'll get a phrase you could say this word means actually this set of ideas where you just started with a word which meant something totally different and as example i guess i could use the word and ask everyone did you understand me Um, This is a really weak example, but it's the only one I can think of at the moment. If you take that apart literally, you could say, well, that means to stand under. So clearly someone's imposing authority. If you said, do you understand me? And you say, yes, you've been subjugated to that person. You agreed. Now you were sticking. Right. Well, you're standing under them yes. by the very language. Your authority. That you've agreed. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's. But, but what does un mean? Un has a meaning. Dur has a meaning. Um, and all these things go on. So that is the crux of what I am attributing as twilight language in these things. But what I what I first realized is even the word twilight language has the same idea going on. Before the sun goes down, you can see clearly and know things. And this is what happens when the sun's gotten dimmer and it's just about gone. Not so easy to see, but the same information is there. Um, and that tells you about the words. It's just yeah. you've been taught to sound them out incorrectly you've been taught to accept a meaning which is often the opposite of what they actually mean particularly in law but that's the best i can do 
Yeah, and interestingly I, enough, that um, most Twilight language stuff, I mean, what little that I know about is goes back to Sanskrit, which both Sanskrit and Hebrew not only have numeric values assigned to each letter, but each letter has a meaning of its own. And then when you combine those, it kind of gre- it, it aggregates together into a larger, thicker, more complex meaning um, that we wouldn't really understand well in English because we don't kind of do that. But um, it, it is, uh, yeah, fascinating to to look at those ideas um, right. of there being, again, m- much more hidden into it. In fact, names used to be, uh, I, I've done quite a bit of study on um, naming conventions and what ha- they used to be so powerful. And um, again, the idea that would give, if you knew someone's name or even hidden name, secret name, it would give you power over them. And right. much of uh, demonology is based in this idea as yep. well, that it gives you power. Uh, over something that either you give a name to, if you name it, and go back to the idea that Adam named all the animals, uh, as well as um, you know that there's power in naming and in knowing a name. Uh, even um, the idea that uh, ranks of uh, angels held a scroll with uh, the name of all the writ- the secret name of all everyone underneath them, so it gave them power over them. It's fascinating stuff. What's the oh, mob? Definitely. The mob always says, "Don't give it a name, Vinny." Right? That's the <laughs> yeah. same idea. Yeah. By the, the way, the Coaster Nostra, look- right? In Genesis that you're referring to, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the more common translations, might be NIV or KJV, I think it's that Adam was given the power to name, uh, the authority or something like that, to name the animals. But if we go to other ideas, like everybody knows now that we're all under admiralty law, and that the entire monetary system coming out of the age of Pisces, which is all about water, is named after water current sea this is the current sea you are traveling in uh, a bank well that's the bank of a river I, I could go on and on there is no portion of taking monetary concerns or legal concerns apart that will not directly relate to the sea s-e-a the holy sea is actually being a play on that word s-e-a and saying we see s-e-e now to get back to the point if you take any word related to money apart you will be able to translate it back to a water idea. Take the very word money, M-O-N. That's the moon. That's why Monday uses it. M-O-N is the moon day. Um, so that prefix, probably originally in French, if I was guessing, and I am guessing, maybe Latin, you're going to find out that that prefix or that set of three letters means moon. Moon always has water idea. And if you don't believe me, where did the fake moon landing happen? On Mars. of Tranquility. There it is, the sea of <laughs> and, and what is the moon? The, the moon is magnetic. Um, the moon is cool. The moon is all these things. And, of course, it's Isis. It's, it, it goes on and on and on. And this plays into the level of initiation of the person using the Twilight language because a person who knows a lot more than the guy next to him who may speak Twilight can get way deeper. Instead, the guy next to him can only do a double entendre. This dude could pull off a quintuple entendre with a sentence because he knows the other guy sitting next to him knows all the moon lore, every goddess that's ever been, just all the stuff that you can attach to it or has been attached to it. And right, so, and once again, that that draws back to the idea that there's many, many uh, layers of meaning in a lot of these different things, like especially yeah. uh, religious scriptures or, or holy texts, things like that. There's layers of meaning in there, and yeah. uh, you could also see, uh, and this is not something we really consciously do in the English language like Baldini had mentioned, but uh, uh, there's archetypal ideas that are attached to these symbols which are attached to different words or phrases or even number sequences and we may not recognize such 
on a conscious level or, you know, in a, a consciously knowing level, but it does register with something deep in our unconscious mind. And that's how they could kind of use these different things as tools uh, to manipulate. Because even, we even do recognize, right, we do right. recognize these archetypal ideas because there's something inherently there. And this, uh, you know, could relate back to a concept called the Akashic Record or they call it uh, uh, genetic memory, things like that. Yep. Uh, so, I, I mean, there's there's definitely something to it from what I could see. And I'm, you know, still a very novice at, at picking this stuff apart. But I'm getting better. I, I'm getting better at it, uh, too. But could, consider killing the king, Wayne. So all of us are told that the new king of Camelot is JFK, and he's a war hero, and his wife is this beautiful love goddess. Um, and all this pomp and circumstance and pride pumped into America and finally America has royalty because he's literally referred to as the king of Camelot. Well all the time that we're saying Kennedy, the original Gaelic mean is the word we just covered, but one of the connotations of the original meaning of that name is ugly head wound. So subconsciously all this time we're being pumped up and proud and we've got royalty and all of a sudden one day we're told, guess what? Someone kills this guy. We don't know who the hell did it. We can't figure it out. But someone just took the, the prince of this castle, the king of this place, is gone. And all of a sudden you begin to realize how they register into your subconscious. Because we've all been saying JFK. We've all been saying Kennedy. We've all been doing these things, even down to the date it was done on, 11-22-63. So you've got the 11, the evil of of, of of numbers according to Crowley the 22 which is the master builder number when you combine the two you've got the 33 and of course you've got the completion ID in 63 which is the 9 and I could go on from there actually there's there's quite a bit more to just the numerology alone but these are all the archetypes being leveraged off and the okay. only reason it works is because we give a damn so deeply about the surface narrative as far as I can tell if we all said who gives a damn if there's a king of Camelot and that guy has no bearing on my life I think that what follows um, the effects of it are, are drastically reduced that's where I'm at right now uh, I'll go one further and I'll tie this back to Kenneth Arnold once again the Kenneth Arnold thing happened when 1947 yep uh, the Kennedy assassination 1963 that's 16 years What's uh, when you break down sixteen? What's four times four? Sixteen. What's forty-four? Death doors and also. If you add, uh, you know, the forty-four One. together, it's it's an eight. It's the trickster number. Uh, and so, sixteen is also the mind weapon in one Kabbalah right. use, which would be the seven. Zion. Absolutely. See, so you can see how they've, you know, anybody with who has any understanding of some of these layers of meaning just from the the numbers alone. Uh, could kind of show in 40, 1947 there's an 11 year so you have your 9 in the 63 and your 11 in the 47 so that creates the what I call the broken feedback loop uh, the 9-11 encoding and keeps you in that endless vicious cycle of lower mindedness uh, along with this whole idea so uh, it's well, very interesting things to explore and look at and it might be a little out there for some people who aren't well, necessarily familiar with these concepts but there's something to it for sure let, let's point out a thing though why is it that they always use like every number like everything else in our world has duality everything is heads or tails of the same coin black or white but it's the same dang coin uh, why is it always that the seven is the mind weapon 
where in many other usages, that's a divine number. That's a number reaching for perfection and angelic ideas. You see what I'm saying here? So there's this whole duality going on, and they're always going to the, the bad neighborhood. Why aren't they ever headed uptown? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. And that's part of it, too, because when you know that, even though Crowley called 11 the evilest, it's not the evilest of numbers for me. It's just a damn 11. And you know what I'm saying? And that diminishes the kind of mental gymnastics they're trying to put you through, both consciously and subconsciously. Uh, why? Why do they always got to go to the dark side? <laughs> There's that's not that's only half of this place. Always Bad things threatened. happen. Yeah, but that's a great question. Too. Right. I think largely that has to do with the people who've actually risen to places of power in this world. I would say the vast majority of them are probably working towards this dark side agenda. Now I'm sure there's people up there that are also trying to uh, do good and you know try and prevent certain things from happening or try to make things better for the public at large but uh, I would say that it's it's probably more heavily weighted towards those negative type uh, dark magicians or however you want to refer to them uh, that that would be the people in charge would be more or less mostly these type people in my estimation and fascinatingly enough um, on that Kenneth the Arnold thing back when we were talking about UFOs <laughs> um, yeah we, 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 we were looking at that yeah, but we it's were. Jason's it's, fault. This is nah, his show. <laughs> I was going to say when, when uh, and so when we were, uh, you know, I was going to quickly look up the etymology of uh, Kenneth as compared to you know Kennedy, and of course one of the meanings there uh, is fireborn, which again gives the uh, idea of the phoenix, which goes back to again thirty third parallel there. And, and uh, the description of the fiery discs, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the funny thing, as soon as I typed in uh, in Google K E N N, the very first result was Kenneth Arnold. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. As, oh, my we God. Were just... The algorithms know what we're thinking. <laughs> or what he's talking about. So, uh, again, a fascinating full full circle of, of goodies there. But I, I do – I love the etymology and the idea of uh, – and, I, you know, I've always loved looking into the, to the words and this idea of twilight language uh, where, again, you're carrying uh, multiple – uh, implications in it and um, you know for people in the audience who want to really get into stuff look at naming conventions and that names had uh, meaning um, fraught with meaning uh, long ago that, that's coming tonight Baldini we're putting out the Michael Hoffman episode co-author of King Kill James Shelby Downard handed us a toolkit that as far as I know we wouldn't have had otherwise and it's exactly what you're describing awesome. now but it, it just goes to show the level of knowledge that an individual really wants to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, it's about how much you know about a place, about a name, about all these things. And it's kind of like Wayne, though. Um, it's not about reading books your whole life. Did you notice at the beginning of this when Wayne had already knowingly made the association that I was about to look up, uh, tying this to the killing of the king? That's what happens at a certain level of knowing. He instinctually knew there was probably a connection, and I had still been thinking, oh, they're just using the land of enchantment. But actually, there's a provable connection here. So the episode we put out tonight, and by the way, King Kill, before we give it back to Jason to talk about UFOs, <laughs> um, King, King Kill. I'm just going to go get my theremin. Yeah, it was, it was tough to get a copy of, but Jason and I have a direct line. Anyone can get an uncensored, unedited version of King Kill. Jason, take back your UFO show. Ooh. All right. Spooky. Okay, let's get back to our Iran. By the way, should we take a moment to talk about the Rand Corporation? It's kind of important who these guys are. They're, they're a mega think tank 
kind of uh, group uh, corporation in the sense that they only work by donation, if I recall correctly. And they're directly tied in with the military industrial complex. So every time you see a paper put out by these guys, even going all the way back to 1968, uh, these guys are uh, serious business. Anyone want to yeah, comment on that? Yeah, they're, they're definitely one of the uh, go-to think tank groups uh, that uh, the military-industrial complex uses uh, quite a bit. Them's in, them and uh, other places like uh, Brookings Institute and, uh, you know, some of the other uh, – uh, I'm, I'm blanking here now on some of the other ones. Yeah, it's been a long day, guys. Uh, my brain is starting to shut down, but there are a lot of these different think tank groups, and RAND is one of the more uh, – heavily used ones by the military industrial complex yeah yeah specifically for um as you say military industrial complex and that narrative purposes as opposed to for example tavistock institute which is primarily social engineering so but they did they definitely all work hand in hand and if you go to the rand corporation rand.org uh you'll see right away they're pushing uh covid19 i mean they're they got their hands in all the pies so uh, yeah definitely one of the one of the more prolific think tanks uh, over a rather long period of time well, even Kubrick made fun of them in um, – oh, my God, I'm blanking on the movie. What's it called? Dr. Strangelove. Oh, yeah, right. They yeah. Call, he called it the Bland Corporation. But Bland Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, exactly. Perfect. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he yeah. knew that even in the – what was that, 64 or somewhere around there that movie came out. So, All right. Serious inquiry proceeded for a few years without any positive results. A number of supposedly knowledgeable people spoke out, pointing out the sporadic nature of the sightings and that since the reported kinematics were inconsistent with current physical theory, the UFOs were not likely to be from a foreign power. Further, they argued no other planets in our solar system were believed to support life certainly not intelligent life, and since even the nearest star was over four light years away, the hypothesis of extraterrestrial origin was simply unacceptable from the scientific point of view. The Air Force investigative effort worked as follows. Whenever a sighting was made, a report was to be made out and turned in to the Air Force at base level. The report was forwarded to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, for study. If the report was interesting enough, follow-up inquiry was made. By 1952, the number of reports coming in was so large that the CIA was concerned that an actual attack on the country might not be immediately recognized. A panel of scientists was then convened in January of 1953 to study the available evidence and see what conclusion could be reached about UFOs. After seven days of hearing evidence and discussing the matter, it was concluded that there was only circumstantial evidence of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. The panel recommended a broadened study effort with full disclosure of investigations. In order to unplug the military intelligence channels, however, the CIA recommended that, since the UFOs apparently posed no threat, the Air Force should debunk UFO reports and try, generally, to discourage public interest in them in the hope that they would go away. Go away. <laughs> oh, and by the way, uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is where supposedly the um, wreckage from Roswell was taken. So, yes, that is that is correct. Uh, so it was also the home of uh, Project Blue Book at one point, too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you could see how a lot of these things are all tied together in that way. Uh, you'll notice here that uh, they're talking about in the very beginning here, uh, 
how they're saying that the uh, hypothesis of extraterrestrial origin was simply unacceptable from a scientific point of view. And then they contend as we go on here to try to convince you that it's the only it possible is. explanation. Exactly. <laughs> so they're giving you the, the disclosure up front that, you know, it, it's not feasible. And then they're talking about this study commission in 1953 that after seven days, just a mere week of talking about it, uh, they said there's only circumstantial evidence of the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which means there's buttkiss. Right. <laughs> there's bumpkiss. Well, but they're, but that see, they're trying to take evidence for it, and they're trying to take the approach of like, oh, we didn't think it uh, it was unacceptable, but then you know we looked into it, and now it's the only thing we can come up with, uh, yeah. you know, as so as a you know as a premise to try to um, convince somebody. There, there you go. We are completely <clears throat> opposed to it, and then wow, now that's the only thing we can come up with. Well, right. actually. I in the last in the last sentence here of that paragraph, knowing what we know now, you don't really need to know anything more because what they do is they say the CIA recommended this thing, and they're saying this poses no threat. So Air Force, you should debunk it. So in the minds of everyone now, you simply need to say this is about intent. What do we know about CIA? What is the intent of the CIA? And by the way, um, why would the Air Force, you know, so what they're doing is they're, they're doing the fishhook method, right? They're taking a mystery and wrapping it in an yep. enigma, but they're using authority that's already shady to start with in your kind of childlike mind that still has some truth left in it. Everybody knows what the CIA is. Mm -hmm. So the very last sentence here kind of tells you all you need to know about yeah. this entire paper. And again, we're going to put it in a box and don't look in the box. There's nothing in the yeah. box. And, and the box will be blue, everybody. Just so right. you know, I guarantee you the box will be blue. Yep. And here's the other thing. They said that uh, apparently they these UFOs posed no threat. So, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to debunk them in the hopes that the interest in them would go away. So let's discourage the public from interest in them, knowing full well that this is only going to draw more attention to the topic exactly. and make people more interested. Yeah, don't look in the box. Okay, it's so well, that's what are you going to do? You're going to go look in the box, and they know what they're doing. And this was all uh, a put up uh, from you know this perspective. It's a social engineering operation when it comes down to it. It's a psyop, uh, and, and, and that's and what they're using it as. Yeah, they're using twilight language here too, Wayne, because the end of that talks about NICAP, which is written N-I-C-A-P. So if we apply what we're learning about twilight language or whatever you want to call it, bird language, um, you'll see that it's in all caps. So this is, a, you know, the idea of Roman slave um, capitalization, but cap is caput, which is the head. So that's what they're going at, and I'm not sure what NI is. Baldini might be bright enough Nine. to understand. That's probably an element. It does niacin. NI represent, yeah, niacin. Mm -hmm. um, but there's probably more to it because you know that prefix has meaning also. Nine cap no. The knights that say Nine me. means no. <laughs> me that would be no. me cap. If it if <laughs> it does if it does that's mean a no. Thing. Right. Me if it cap. does mean no, what they're saying is no head. They've decap decapitated. There you go. Yeah. See? Headshot. Yeah, uh, an ugly head wound. Go, go figure. <laughs> he's, he's kaput. It was the CIA's recommendation, apparently, that was made policy for the investigative procedures used since 1953 have been vestigial. Is that supposed to be vestigial? And the handling vestigial. of subject Vest, hmm? vestigial. vestigial, vestigial, and the handling of the subject by the authorities tended to make witnesses look ridiculous.
In spite of the unfavorable publicity accorded witnesses, reports persisted, and no doubt in response to official behavior, several civilian study groups were formed to receive reports and investigate sightings. The most successful of these groups is the National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, or NICAP, NICAP. NICAP's membership is well dispersed geographically and acts to learn as much as possible from sightings. The large number of scientific and technical personnel in the NICAP membership aids the quality of their evaluations. A summary of characteristics of the U phenomenology published by NICAP in 1964 contains 575 reports that were extensively checked by NICAP for accuracy. A series of sightings in 1965 and 1966 received considerable public attention, and after the poor public reception given the official explanations, the Air Force felt compelled to contract for a 15-month, later stretched to 18 months, scientific study to be performed at the University of Colorado under the leadership of E.U. Condon, a highly respected physicist. The Condon Committee is due to complete investigations at the end of June 1968. Its report will be reviewed by the National Academy of Sciences, presumably to validate the study that the study was indeed the objective pearl of the scientific method that was desired, and is, and is expected to be made public in October of 1968. Unfortunately, the dismissal of two members of the committee in February of 1968 resulted in publicity suggesting that the study was not, in fact, objective. It remains, therefore, to see the final report to determine the worth of the study. I'm actually not familiar with that study. Any, did, did, do any of you know what it is? Yes, I've looked at it. And, uh, is it Poppycock? Basically, the condom... Huh? Yes. I said, is it Poppycock? <laughs> it is. It is. Basically, the Condon Committee came back and said there's nothing to UFOs, and they uh, recommended the, the stopping of Project Blue Book, and that's what you know put an end to Project Blue Book. They stopped investigating because the Condon Committee came to the conclusion that it wasn't worth applying these resources to do this study. So uh, they, they ended that. But you'll notice here that uh, this this paper, this this guy who's who's putting together this paper is relying upon NICAP for their His uh, information, investigation right. skills. So yeah. hold on, you're telling me that a military uh, subcontractor is, is going to rely upon civilian MUFON, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Event, essentially, NICAP was that day's version of MUFON. So, like, Which, how reliable is this? You got a couple of guys that are UFO nuts that go out to investigate. They get their, they pay their three hundred bucks or whatever, and get their little official MUFON certification. And uh, people say they they call a phone number or something, say they saw a UFO, and they go to their house and they interview them with this little form that they have that they fill out and try to take down the pertinent details. This is basically what this is. And uh, you take his name, and E.U. Condon, and you move the E to the end, and you get you condone. Or you been conned. Yeah, or you yeah. been conned. But there's more to the, to the words here, because a series of sightings from 1965, that's a 9-11 code verbatim, but then they say and 66. So here we go into the sixes. Notice it first that we're doing a 15-month contract. That's the six idea. But later they stretch it. How much do they stretch it? To 18. So they take their six six. and they turn it into triple sixes, (laughs) right? But as as we go on, and we already have established that NICAP is no head, or to decapitate your ability to think, I guess is the idea, you guys rightly attach it to MUFON. Well, Jason, do you remember the Huffman, what's the name of the place? Huffington Post. Huffington Post. 
gets MUFON to go on their paper to say, Crow Triple Seven clearly doesn't understand his equipment, doesn't know what he's doing, and MUFON and an FBI expert, I'm not sure what an FBI expert knows about UFOs, right. say, clearly Crow has shot a satellite in half geosynchronous order. Well, first of all, MUFON, you're about <laughs> sure UFOs, you did. so where's the... Where's the possibility, uh, you know, but anyhow, that's what led to me debunking with, with optics experts the distance a thing could be. Um, but it's the same thing as going on here, and anyone who knows how to read between the lines, why wouldn't you just say in the early 60s or starting in 65, you know, these are the tells. And then when you notice, well, it's a 15-month, but well, we're going to jack this out to uh, 18 months. Just pay attention. Yeah, not only that, I find it a little ironic, though, that uh, if you look down where it says the report will be reviewed by National Academy of Sciences, and then it says in parentheses there, presumably to validate that the study was indeed the objective pearl of the scientific method that was desired. Yep. Once again, you see the use of the word pearl. pearl. This is coded language. It's clearly, out of place. It it's clearly out of place. And this is so the same sort of it. stuff that Wayne and I are discovering in these news articles, um, that there are phraseologies and, uh, again, numbers that are used that are clearly out of place in local articles that uh, appear national and international news. Uh, again, just passing messages. There's clearly... Yeah, there's an intent there. What that intent here. is, I yep. don't know. There's something encoded there. I don't quite know what the intent is, but, uh, I mean, I, I suspect if we were to make a run at it, like in, you know, the context of this document and maybe uh, looking at the different sources of the, that this uh, writer in this document uses and looking at the historical narrative back then of what was going on, we might be able to convey some meaning from it, but that would be a laborious process for those of us who, really don't know what the code means and you know that that's the whole thing i mean it's how far do you want to chase the the proverbial golden goose in order to understand what's being said in a particular thing not, not very far <laughs> right that's the thing for yeah. something need, like this you need to just it's not know. worth really yeah. looking into as long as you, you, you understand the, the basics right. uh you know that this is poppycock and that this is coded oh, language I, right there I, ju <laughs> I just spotted more twilight language that baldini was going at first of all it okay. stands out to me why is it eu Condon. No, nobody right. writes their name EU, so you already know. And by the way, whenever you see the triple name thing, that's been made fun of in conspiracy theory, a Mel mm -hmm. Gibson movie, that the, that the triple name means something. Why are you using the middle name? But EU, it just took me a moment, and it occurred to me what's being done. E is the fifth letter. That has to do with human beings, and most of the time you can remember um, that because it's the five-pointed star. The, the geometry is always associated with the number. So when you think of a number, you think of the geometry almost always five is is about human beings or the casting of spells on human beings when these dark bastards are at it but so what's being said is a human being you are being conned in in a possible version of twilight language um in the name eu condon but anyone who's not completely buffaloed should already be saying who the hell writes their name e period u period condon why don't you just call him Eugene or whatever the hell it is? Um, <laughs> and, and why do we need to know his middle initial? And if we do need to know his middle initial, what the hell does you stand for, Ulysses? I mean, come on. How many U names are there? Give us a break here, folks. Yeah, yeah, and just, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, as an interesting aside, though, uh, with this three-name thing, if your middle name happens to be Wayne, that means you're a serial killer. Just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily for yeah, you, it's your first name. Right. John Wayne Gacy, let's do this now. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, you could you could put it together six ways from Sunday. But yeah, I'll tell you, it's it, 
I don't know if there's something really to that or not, but it just seems a little convenient. That's that's the joy I've had growing what up. What about with John the name Wayne? Oh wait a minute, his name John, was Marion. Right? Yeah, his name <laughs> was Marion. Take it easy, but Pilgrim. Since we mentioned the we mentioned the pearl, right? And that's um, well, it comes from from French, but that's uh, I think originally the Latin uh, for leg. <laughs> so, for what leg? Leg, yeah. Uh, hmm. Perna, right? So um, I don't even I don't even know where they're going with that. I'm just <laughs> I just tried to follow the rabbit trail. And sometimes it's it's like it's just weird, right? But uh, it, it, one of the things, man, Latin. If the more you get into it, the more uh, the more you can track it back. They some stuff is just laying out there in plain sight. <laughs> mut, mut, mutton leg. So it comes from ham. So it's already a pig idea or mutton leg shape yep. from Perna, which is what you just got. But if we follow it back, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to go all the way down there. But you're you're right. There's absolutely something there. It's the swine idea, and the it's, pearls before swine idea too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. In, See, in they're one side, and the same, right? And a mollusk is a bivalve. I don't know. It would take me a minute. I don't have the effort. And conchant. So condon, if you say conchant, that's pig in French. Ah. So another <laughs> time. Go. Merci. on the table, gentlemen. <laughs> He's such a ham. <laughs> I don't know. Just, we'll leave uh, the lamb legs out know. of this. Right. All right. Well, let's get on with the show here, Pork Chap. Okay. <laughs> In the meantime, the respectability accorded UFOs by the $500,000 study contract permitted a considerable amount of scientific interest to surface. Astronomer Hynek has made a number of public statements on the basis of his long involvement as a consultant to the Air Force. Atmospheric physicist James E. McDonald has turned his attention full-time to the subject, and a number of scientific and technical journals have printed some dialogue, notably Science, the AIAA Journal, Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, and the Journal of the Astronautical Sciences. It is also noteworthy that the University of of Toronto has recently formed a UFO study group. Even the Soviets, who previously refused even to discuss the subject, now admit to having a study group with good qualifications. The USSR Academy of Sciences still holds to the orthodox scientific view that UFOs are a non-problem, however, using the same arguments we heard so long. These arguments are just as invalid in the USSR as in the USA. It is therefore it therefore appears that the subject is slowly and finally being regarded as a fit subject of scientific inquiry. It is hoped that enough scientists will acquaint themselves with the subject so that progress can finally be made. All right. So I can I can give you another connection that Baldini just made. Uh, Heinrich is actually a form from I think Czech of Henry. And Henry means ham, H-A-I-M. So there's your ham over again. It also means again. <laughs> it also means heim and home. But get this, uh, power and ruler. Um, and he's the guy put in charge of, for whatever reason, this this pigathon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, dear. it just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's, getting, it's funny, man. It means once you get into it, it's it it is a, a laugh a minute. <laughs> I, I think we're hitting pay bacon here. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the oh, case dear. of the Soviets, it was moose and squirrel. So Dalkarad, <laughs> <laughs> duh. duh. <laughs> By the way, this document is actually great that you pulled out, Wayne, because the presentation I'm planning on doing at Flattoberfest uh, on October 24th 
is uh, on the 50s and 60s social engineering of space and all that, like uh, the space age culture. And this goes right along with that, how everybody oh, got super obsessed with, with all of it. You know, like uh, th- there's so much stuff I've already found. Uh, do you know that pop? Well, it was jazz for the most part, but they called it pop music. It started in the 50s before all of this stuff um, like really even took off uh, for uh, to, to make a pun. It was like even before Sputnik, they already started kind of pushing this narrative. And I found out in the early 50s, they wanted to start pushing the narrative of uh, men in space, of actual humanity in space travel. Oh, yeah. They've been pushing that, uh, you know, for quite a bit longer than what people might think. It it didn't originate like in the 1960s. Uh, It's been around a long time, like ideas like this. Um the, well, the, the first movie that those those wacky <laughs> those wacky German guys were actually looking at a lot of this stuff back in the 1920s. We won't say who they were, but uh, they were not Z's. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I did not so, see that coming. You know, I didn't. I know you would not see that coming. But uh, yeah, those wacky German guys they were looking at this stuff back in the the early 1910s and even the 1920s. They they were actually looking at trying to develop spacecraft then. Well, so, the first uh, film, the first motion picture. That wasn't that Metropolis. Was that what that was? Trip to the Moon. Trip to the Moon. Trip yeah. to the Moon. Yep, Lumiere. And considering that it was a poke in the eye when they shot the right in the eye, and uh, you'll notice all the scientists are dressed just like wizards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nothing exactly, to see exactly. here. Nothing um, to see here. Did they? Did they have sticks of Hollywood? I'm sure they, they, they did. probably did. Hollywood? I think, yeah, they had they had telescopes, and I think they did have once. But did you guys just do the paragraph with James E. McDonald, the physicist? Old McDonald had a physics. No, you didn't do that one yet. Uh, we uh, are. Yeah, oh yeah, we just did that. Yeah, we're, well, we're jumping what I was down. Point out is here. Here's another way to see the tell. So physicist James E. McDonald turned his full attention to the subject of ufology or whatever they're going to call it. And a number of scientific and technical journals have printed the dialogue, notably, and get this, the AIAA, which is a verbatim 9-11 encode, of the Atomic Scientists and the Journal of Astronomical Sciences. Um, nukes don't exist. So there's there's yep. another obvious tell on the face of it. The guy they put in charge is studying. It's about like being the head brother in charge of gravity. You're in charge mm-hmm. of an idea that's a theory based on a theory which is not provably anything real in the world so what are you and as i mentioned before the tie-in between ufos and nuclear facilities both nuclear power plants and nuclear weapons storage so um they they they've been tying these things together i mean from the beginning yeah and and that that goes to one of the major sightings which uh, there's some secret secret place in england and guess what the ufos came through the wire and the controlled airspace and we had nukes there and you know it's Mm -hmm. the whole and that's that goes back to the prematuria too, of course, which is proven by White Sands. Rendlesham or whatever, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Rendlesham, exactly. Rendlesham Forest, and then yeah. they get their their little sergeant to come dancing out and do all the stuff, and you're thinking, dude, did be they on coast to coast every six when months. You didn't know, <laughs> right? Rendlesham, or, or you did sham, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's Rendell mean? There's there's the whole game. Yeah, and not only that, I'm pretty sure this James E. McDonald, uh, I think he was a double major, and his second degree was in unicornology, if I'm not mistaken. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought it was in poppycocks. Oh, get this! Randall is a diminutive personal name of Rand. There so you I was go. just going to say Randall. I was just going there, and so and yeah, means, Rand. Yeah, it means the shield of the wolf. 
of course. So um, <laughs> we're back to Romulus. Romulus. Yeah, we're back to Romulus and Remus. So there's Rendell. All the roads sham to Rome. <laughs> yep, the, the sham from Rome is basically what that name means. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so far we've tied this whole UFO nonsense thing to the killing of the king, and now back to Rome. <laughs> so I mean, okay, because all Vatican roads lead to coming up now because should, Rome's there. So we should do know. Twilight on the word UFO. You know, it's going to be there. It has to be. Of course. And, don't and now they're nightcap. Yeah. Nightcap would be like, hey, let's go have a nightcap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I took it I took those it mushrooms? partially apart. If NI is no, that's no cap, no head. No head. Yeah. Just take a just uh, take a little off the top there. <laughs> boom, boom. Take away your ability to think. Removing your noggin. Yeah. Mercy. Mm. Just use your head. I can't. I got nightcapped. There you go. Which makes you wonder about NyQuil. Indeed, <laughs> right? Phonics. Yep, you gotta love phonics. Phonics is fun, or it at least that's what they tried for me. Yeah. Well, now we're digital, so now we need to start studying ephonics. Mm. <laughs> nice. Not to be confused with ebonics. Exactly. <laughs> that does happen. Same idea going on. Oh, by Pretty the way, uh, I found more evidence of. Uh, I don't know what you call it if, if it's deception or not, but when I was looking up stats on on supposed space travel and all that it was those guys in germany in uh 1943 i think it was or 44 that actually are the first supposedly to have gotten above the Kármán line yet every mainstream thing always yaps on and on and on about how the russians did it first with sputnik but it's just not true the the germans did it first and then the americans did it with 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 the v2 technology i thought picard did it first in a balloon um well no, i found other poppycock with that i found two lies one on nasa's website and another one talking about captain picard on uh wikipedia and both of them have complete and utter bullshit saying that the the uh curvature of the earth was observable from a balloon uh the, the picard he, he supposedly saw say it. that what's that his yeah, he didn't. Picard didn't actually. Say he that. didn't he say it, but the Wikipedia article has a blatant lie in the article. It saying, is a blatant lie. Yeah, yeah I know because yep. it. And I don't even give a flip about what they say. Everybody knows you can't see the curvature of the Earth if it's even there until you get up above the Kármán line. You like you have to get up that far, which is sixty to seventy miles. So NASA has right on. I was looking at historical stuff for my presentation, and it yeah. blatantly says on their site that uh, the Germans saw the curvature of the Earth. Um, from from a balloon. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he said, I, what I, he actually said was that it seemed a flat disc with upturned edge. That's what he said. Yeah, so he well, probably was in a this, valley. This is the, the, this is one of those things where it gets confusing because what you know is that Captain Picard of Star Trek fame is clearly named or associating with. This. Oh yeah, you're being you're being told this dude went higher yeah. higher than anyone ever went. And then, of course, right around the time that I was announcing, I think space is probably better described as liquid, they came out with that booze commercial showing Picard going up, hitting the firmament, and then going into water. Um, But the idea there, uh, from the Hollywood perspective, would be Picard went higher than anyone, which is the idea of space, Um, so we're naming Picard after him. But I haven't taken time to try to deduce whether the the idea is a complete construct from the get-go. But I... I mean, we're talking 1800s, right? Am I wrong here? Is is Picard, balloon Picard 1800s? No, early, early 1900s. 1900s. 
early yeah, 1930s. It was 1930-ish or something like that. 29, late 20s, I think. Yeah, so, it was somewhere in there. Mistaken, like they're, they're claiming at the time, and one of the old thing, I looked at it years ago, they were claiming he went higher than anyone for the time. At the time, yes, he had. And he also, he went deeper than anyone, so he went down was it, in a Was it 1911? Is it possible he did this in 1911? I don't think it was. I don't think no, it was. No, I want to say it was, was 1929, 1929, I think. Yeah, I think it was. Same, somewhere idea, in the same, same idea going on, 92. 29, yeah. But he also did uh, the deepest. So he went the highest and the deepest. He went in the bathosphere uh, with the, <laughs> another guy. Yeah. So the both. material waters below and into the etheric waters Absolutely. above. That man well, did it all. And that's the um, that's that uh, was it uh, alcohol commercial um, show. I don't know if you've seen that. It's very telling. Where it, right. it's it's clearly it's, showing you there's a firmament and exactly. the waters are being separated from the waters. Absolutely. And what most people don't understand is from the old natural sciences the water separated from the waters and i'm going to use the word gravity because people get what the idea is supposed to be meaning but the reason the the firmament is separating waters from waters is because down here we have gross heavy material 3d waters up there they're a bit more angelic and etheric to use descriptive terms so if gravity was real we would say that their gravitational average would separate them like oil and water if you tried to mix them. That kind of idea going on, but clearly the firmament is described as a hard, fast barrier, and um, the idea being that a human being is tuned to this side of that barrier. So it doesn't matter what you can devise to get out of here. It's not working. If it's made out of material of any kind, including your body, you're not doing it. Um, that's how the that's how the flask keeps its little constituent components inside the flask. Uh, no jail needed. You're basically tuned to here, and if you leave here, then you're no more. 1931 was the first uh, I was just balloon say, yeah, launch. Yep. So I, I think I made a slight mistake. The, the Germans supposedly got up to the Kármán line first, meaning that they did space travel of some sort first. But the curvature is reported as a lie on the NASA website because they said that uh, the Americans did it in the 30s with balloons, which is not possible because a weather balloon cannot get up above approximately 120, 121,000 feet. And Picard didn't get anywhere, anywhere near that to see something because he reached a record altitude in 1931 at 15,771, uh, I'm sorry, 51,775 feet or 9.8 miles. So nowhere near close. So, so to be clear, anyone wants to go look up where space starts, you can't do it. Usually, the one thing you'll trip on the most times is the idea of the Kármán line. And if I'm not mistaken, that's in kilometers, and it's roughly 60 kilometers. Um, but it goes to show you, if space is a real thing, uh, why can't you tell us where it begins? And not only that, go look up the ionosphere. Uh, I know about this because I was in the Marine Corps, and we were told we were bouncing radio waves off the ionosphere off the ocean, off the ionosphere to go over the curvature of the world. So when I was in Japan talking to a dude in Florida, I was told that's how we're doing it, or California. Um, but the truth of it is, when you look up the definition of the ionosphere, and actually I did this years ago, I don't know what it might be now, if it's changed, it's the idea of charged particles. But here's the rub. 30 to 40 miles above your head, they're claiming it fluctuates is where the ionosphere starts, but they're claiming it goes up 1,200 miles from there. So if you're telling me 60 clicks is space, space is a vacuum, how the hell do you have an ionosphere of charge? You see, it's all just contradictory. And when you get to things like that, you've got to ask simple questions like how the hell isn't every scientist ever in any university saying, wait a minute, 
these two things don't jive, we've got a problem here, gentlemen. But it doesn't well, how do you happen. Have, how do you have gas giants in a 10 to the minus 17 tour vacuum <laughs> when, <laughs> when gases have no uh, covalent inter intermolecular bonds? It's, I mean, what, what, how, does it, how does that congeal? It's magic of it's gravity. Magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, now you can look at the Crab Nebula, and so it's got, uh, you know, there's supposed to be way more gas than, say, Jupiter, but it didn't congeal into a ball. <laughs> the, the, the mind can create cr incredible things. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down Only to. Only limited man. by your imagination. Exactly. We're SpongeBob. We need a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, the Carmen line is currently considered at 62 miles up by uh, NOAA, N-O-A-A. Uh, no, well, that's something no, because I'm no. reasonably sure it was previously 60 click. But that's the satellite story, <laughs> right? When I first was well, getting into telescopes, right? So the satellite story back in the day, you know, I'm talking 2013 when I'm starting to realize there's no satellite in space, and I'm starting to prove that everything we've been told can be proved not true. Um, they're telling me there's 20 to 30 thousand satellites. They're just not sure because they're guessing maybe 10 thousand of them are broken. All right, that's 2013. Now, as time went on, the number kept reducing, reducing. At one point, they told us, well, we don't send satellites up anymore. Now we do these mini one foot by one foot cubes. Well, do you think you can see a one foot by one foot cube at anything like 250 miles, which is near Earth orbit, where most of them are supposed to be? You can't. But my point is, if you go do a satellite lookup, last time I did a month or two ago, there were just over a thousand. So we've oh, dropped. Really? Because last time I looked, it was like 3,300. And I'm like, that's it's all over the place, but it's nowhere near the 20 to 30,000. And by the way, um, that's when we started that. That was part of what drove Crow's Law of HD. Um, yep. OK, astronauts have iPhones, so I'm calling poppycock. We should have HD of all these thousands of amazing things in space doing amazing spacey things. Which oh, and by the way, um, in another uh, incident of life imitating art, uh, just like the movie Gravity, the um, astronauts aboard the ISS are now supposed to be hunkering down to avoid space junk, <laughs> which is threatening. <laughs> no shit. Uh, I shit thee not. Uh, it's good stuff. Hunkering down to avoid space junk. That's yeah. that's just awesome. Isn't where are all these down. disappearing satellites going? Maybe there's <laughs> well, where, where maybe there's gonna, like a where satellite crackers or something. I don't know. That's that, but that's what the headline said. They, the they were hunkered down. Yeah, that's good stuff. If that was true, wouldn't you have a hunker down bunker? Yeah, <laughs> hunker, hunker bunker. in the bunker. <laughs> Sounds like the sixties, baby. <laughs> these micro particles are going nearly the speed of light. They can go through anything. Yeah. Oh. Remember the whole the whole there was a hole in the ISS and it turned yes. out to be an image used from someone's album. Rock album. Um, yeah. That, yeah, it was a rock album before yeah. the whole event. Um, and it was shown. It goes to show you what's going on. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Chris Hadfield uh, posted it to his Twitter like it was like it was real. <laughs> he got must, busted and never he never acknowledged it. Never said jack shit afterwards. Must be a bitch to be under contract. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, where did that data come from that they were saying about the the height of the Carmen line? Noah, there's yeah. your water idea. I was going to say mm -hmm. Noah. Up there. I, I was right there with you. Wayne. I was like, yep. oh, yeah, Noah. Mm -hmm. he, he built something, didn't he? <laughs> the Ark of the Heavens, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we ready to start talking about aliens? Yeah, part two. Uh, you notice the uh, the initial quote. <laughs> What's the guy's name? Jean Cocteau. What? The astonishing <laughs> thing would be if they did not exist. Oh. Cocteau, yes, he's a is, is, that, is that like 
is that like cockatoo? Is he just regurgitating <laughs> crap? Yes. <laughs> yes, Johnny's. Oh, yes, he's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've oh, heard yeah. of Clouseau. <laughs> you've heard of Calypso. <laughs> yes. Wasn't Cocteau the name of the guy in uh, Demolition Man? Dr. Raymond Cocteau? Now all restaurants are Taco Bell. All right, you guys. I can't stop. I'll look up Cocteau. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> he's a poet. While you're, yeah, while you're there, Crow, find out how to use the three seashells. He's a, he's a, he's a French poet of some kind. I don't recall much more than that. P-A-U. Well, apparently it means penis and foot appendage. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to go there. How did I know? How did I know? Oh, did I know? Told, Jason told me not to make any cocaine jokes, so I had to. <laughs> Those leftover cocaine jokes? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. I knew that was fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, wow. Yeah. I, I just realized what time Sunway. it is. We've barely gotten through this. We've been uh, <laughs> flying th- through space here so much. Yeah. We saw in part one that the historical aspects suggest an extraterrestrial explanation to UFOs. While it has not been established that the contemporary phenomena are extensions of the historical, there does seem to be a continuity in the descriptions of the phenomena described. We shall, therefore, look at contemporary astronomical knowledge and theories and ascertain the likelihood of the existence of other highly developed life forms. To begin with, the observable universe, that is, the distance to which we can observe luminous objects, is several billion light years in radius. A light year is the distance light travels in a year at a rate of 186,300 miles per second. The sun is eight light minutes from the Earth. The next nearest star is 4.2 light years away. Within this vast volume, we find hundreds of millions of galaxies. Our own, which is the Milky Way galaxy, is similar to many of those we see at great distance. It is a lens-shaped assemblage of some 100 billion stars, having a diameter of about 100,000 light years. The sun is but one of its component stars and lies about 30,000 light years from the center, close to the plane of symmetry. Unless, of course, you look at Mandela stuff and then it's in a completely different location. Mm -hmm. Now let us just consider the stars in our own galaxy, specifically excluding those in neighboring or distant galaxies. We would like to estimate the number of stars having planets roughly similar to the Earth. From the statistics of stars within 15 light years of the sun, we find that only about one-third are single, the rest binary or multiple. Since planetary orbits are often unstable in multiple systems, depending on the details of the configuration, we will say that only 30 billion stars in our galaxy now have a dynamical environment that permits planets to exist around them. Will these stars have planets? We cannot state with assurance that they will. However, current knowledge supports the theory that planetary formation is a natural adjunct to formation of the star itself from the interstellar gas cloud. We would, (laughs) therefore, expect about 30 billion stars to have one or more planets. Billions and billions. Now, we can reject certain classes of stars as candidates for habitable planets because their lifetimes are too short. These are stars of high mass. Others can be rejected because of variability in light output. There's, cath- there's Catholicism, high mass. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Others can be rejected because of variability in light output, a characteristic that would make evolutionary development of life much more difficult. In fact, if we select only those stars similar to the Sun, whose peak of radiation energy coincides with a region of terrestrial atmospheric transparency, we have only a few percent of the total, about 1 in 30. Therefore, we would expect about 1,000 million suitable solar-type stars exist. Of these, it is estimated by various astronomers that 200 to 600 million have planets at about the right distance and have been around long enough that life forms as developed as our own could exist. Implicit in further discussion are the assumptions that 1. Planets and or life evolves to a mutual compatibility. 2. The life force, whether spontaneous or otherwise, is such that whenever the environment is favorable, life will exist. And 3. Our own history of past evolution and development is neither slow nor fast, but average and typical for life forms. Ours is the only example available, and no one has yet demonstrated that the average galactic life form should be any different. I'm so amused they were talking about things like this in the 60s. Well, the whole the whole thrust of this is to convince you that there's nothing special about being a human being. There's nothing special about this place, and it's basically separating you from your divine spark. Uh, no matter how you want to slice it, it comes up peanuts here. There's only one sun. There's not another thing like it. Uh, it's not been described properly. The distance even isn't. And all the rest of this is just mumbus jumbus that is completely and utterly unprovable in anything more than an offhand, assumptive way. Um, that's what I was saying. By the way, I look up Cocteau, what's going on with the name that opened up this segment is it's going to be almost wholly assigned to the playwright which was 1889-1863, but his notable works are, wait for it, The La Machine Infernal, or The Infernal Machine. Nice. <laughs> and then, of mm, course, I've heard of that. in 1929, let me count the ways the terrible babies are less infants. Terrible oh, babies. less infants, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. Terrible babies, oh. Yes. Uh, billions and billions. There's billions and billions. Here's a serious question I have. For anybody who really buys into this whole mainstream science narrative that they give us, how in the hell do they have any clue whatsoever the Milky Way galaxy looks like with us? <laughs> I thought about that when I read that. <laughs> it looks just this like those ones over there. How the hell do you know that? <laughs> yeah. Because someone made a poster that said you are here. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Precisely. And that's the only thing you could find. This has bothered me since I was a it's, small child, learning about no, science. It will always be. It blinded By their you. definition, it will continue to be impossible to know because of their description of the size of a galaxy. Um, it would never be possible to understand what a structure no. that we call the Milky Way is. So there's further evidence. And, I, and you've noticed, I don't, I don't know if you guys have noticed as well, I'm sure uh, Brian Stately has, <laughs> that uh, when I was growing up, it was always, Earth was always pictured, uh, you know, the solar system on the one of the very outer edges of one of those spirals. Sagittarius arm. Uh, and now it's the now it's the in Orion. Places, so they, yeah, it's sort of like right, in, kind of in the middle. So right. I mean, it, like it, it used to be Sag, yeah. Yep. But it's so, always been that way. So <laughs> well, it's well, just it's fascinating. Get this. Get this. They're saying, um, therefore, among the two hundred to six hundred million star, or no, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the uh, the age of a galaxy is between five and ten billion years, which also isn't going to work because of the supposed speed of light distance across a galaxy. 
So if it if it's only gonna if a galaxy is only gonna live for five to ten billion years, then that would mean the overall distance across it would have to be a minute subset of that lifespan. You see where I'm going here? Yeah, and oh, when you I look at yeah. and when you look at the next segment, which is talking specifically about age, look how many times they use the number five. I was trying to count. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I can't drive 55. Yeah, seven uh, <laughs> uses of five, five hundred thousand, five billion, five hundred, uh, five billion, five ten, and ten, ten billion. billion, a doubling, yeah, yeah. five and ten billion, two hundred to six hundred million. Uh, but they, but five is used uh, seven times. In I mean, it stands out. The number of the count shall be five, and five shall be the number of the count. <laughs> but just remember that every answer right is five. Thou shalt not count to six unless they go straight from the five to the six. <laughs> you you, you want to know what five means? Just always keep in mind the Rush 2112 logo. You know, the naked dude yep. and the red star. Um, there's your, yeah. Yeah, your overall idea of the upright pentacle. And, of course, anything you invert, you already know what it means. The yep. idea is inverted. I just found it fascinating, the whole next the whole thing about age has to do with five and the fifth age, the fifth age of man. It's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, the more you see it, the, the more you see it, the more you see it, I guess. But well, I think the the rest of part two is kind of boring because uh, I think everybody has a general idea of what mainstream astronomical physics says because you learned it in high school, no doubt. So let's jump down to part three: UFOs, the character of reports. <laughs> the character, the it's stage. a character, all right. Yeah, they're setting the stage. <laughs> hey, uh, stage right. You ready? Any collection of reports of unknown aerial sightings by the public will include a large percent of noise, sightings of something explainable. The reports are made because the appearance falls outside the range of the observer's experience, and the observer believes it is sufficiently anomalous to warrant the attention of authorities. Thus, any large collection of reports will include descriptions of aircraft, balloons, spacecraft, astronomical objects, atmospheric effects, and the like. Often, the practiced and perceptive analyst can recognize the stimulus, particularly if he has access to records of aircraft, balloon, and satellite movements, meteorological data, and astro astronomical phenomenon. Isn't this where the swamp gas stupidity came in? Mm -hmm. Recognition of stimulus is aided by a high-quality report, which is as quantitative as possible and which shows the observer to be able to differentiate between observation and interpretation. Of course, a number of reports will be so lacking in details that no conclusion can be reached about what was seen. These are of little use. They may, however, serve as corroborating evidence to another higher-quality report and should not, therefore, be rejected. The really interesting class of reports is that reporting phenomenology which is clearly extraordinary. The observer's qualifications may be such that the report is not only highly credible, but is articulate and quantitative as well. It is this subclass of reports, variously estimated at 5 to 20% of the total, that offer hope of our learning what is going on. Hynek considers... Yeah, let's just make a point here. What I'm noticing in what you just read, Jason, uh, matches very closely the second tenet of Satanism. And while I can't verbatim remember exactly what it is, the idea of it is that in Satanism, they want to make the idea of what is right relative. All right? That's a big deal if you consider. And that's what's mm. going on here. Because what is true is true. There are no gradations of true. As a matter of fact, what is true will always be true. Um, and so one of the tenets of Satanism is being applied 
uh, in the way you see this put down. When I think there's three three pillars or three tenets, I've forgotten, but I'm pretty sure the second one is the idea of, of relativity Relativism. when it comes moral to... Moral relativism. Moral, moral relativity. There I'm going to look them up because I'm actually not even familiar with these. But that's what jumped out at me, how they're manip- warping your mind to buy into the scientific patina official sounding nature of this while they're subconsciously getting you to throw away the idea that um, true is true. There is no gray area. There's no gray area. It is what it is and it always Agreed. will be what it is. And I, I also noted that they um, they throw out the number of um, qualitative r- reports. So the interesting ones are right in that Pareto distribution. <laughs> right? So uh, see that over and over. I smell ham. <laughs> Canadian bacon? What? <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, it doesn't matter where the ham came from. <laughs> I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think this is it, because this has nothing to do with what we were just discussing. There are three. I, I think it's three. Um, I think there are three tenets to Satanism, and I, I'm not seven. sure that they're. Sta- what are they? Well, it would take me a while to read them all, but the only one that mentions... Cliff noted. uh, One is, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Second one... What you're reading is the public glaze over people's eyes. Yeah, well, that's the the public-facing stuff. I'm talking about the actual original idea of a satanic movement and and the the pillars i yeah, think the I'm pretty sure, does anyone remember does anyone know what i'm talking about there's three I of do them know right? what you're talking about crow and i was i was quiet because i, did, I don't remember them and i <laughs> i hate misstating wayne, wayne knew the word so clearly he remembers moral relativism i know relativism is on there and i uh, inversion i think is one yeah um, i think inversion what are the so well. this isn't the the, the levee nonsense right this is something he else. He did the more no, exoteric, okay. right? The one that Crow was just talking about. The he's sort the of first, yeah, he's the first guy that incorporates it, so you know what's going on. See, this I don't know that much about this stuff because it never interested me. Yeah, it I mean, shouldn't. It's just a. It's a skit. It's, it's a, just. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Like, it, I always thought it was silly, right? So, um, yeah. so I, I just look at all of it, <laughs> but I, I can't. Wayne, do you do you recall the third one? It's inversion and rel- moral relativism. Oh, and... Rose just put it in here. Four tenets, moral relativism, social Darwinism, eugenics, and self-preservation. There it is. There, there it is. Rose rocks because that last one. But, but what is that from? I don't even know. It's the tenets of, of satanic ideas that have been attributed to satanic ideas. Um, but you, you see, the whole thing's a mind warp anyhow, because that's all derived from the Luciferian idea, which is Venus, the morning star, bringing light because the, the sun's going to follow it and rise. That goes back to the natural sciences, but I'm setting all that aside so too many people's eyes don't glaze over. <laughs> the point is, um, it's teaching, it's, it is actually the operating procedures uh, the idea of what we call Luciferianism, which really isn't kind of, but it is, um, the, the idea of Satanism, the last tenet there, the fourth one, um, is selfishness, basically, teaching you to be self-centered. Um, it's why in the episode image tonight, and Jason, did you notice that I pulled lyrics on the episode image I sent you last? Well, you always use lyrics. Well, not always, but you well, frequently. Did you not- well, sometimes I do. Yeah, I do and I don't. But from a Yes song which is about a chess game, I pulled a set of lyrics, which is the absolute epitome 
of the fourth tenant rose just laid down this kind of self-centered nature and you'll see it in the episode image with the little evil dudes on the left in my episode image tonight it's the one where um move on back two squares initial it with loving care i see all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied i'm on my oh, way I like that song. is this i can't yes. remember it but down the second to the last verse it's basically telling you look guys the only reason we're here is to conquer every damn thing we want and move me to any black square use me any time you want um there it is and that's exactly what rose just looked up it's i thought there were three but i guess it makes sense that there's four um it's one of the four pillars of satanic ideas and hmm. the worst of those well the two well, they're all terrible selfishness is horrible darwinism is an insult to the divine spark of a human being. that's your inversion right there yeah. there's your inversion right yep. there and when you open up with moral relativism that's an ultimate insult because kids children know they don't have to be told they know when things are right or wrong but by the time we grow up it's been lost because of this kind of nonsense hmm. um let's see I want to, since we're running out of time, I want to see if there's anything actually interesting in here to get to. And by the way, wasn't it 1966 that LeVay finally incorporated that nonsense? Yeah, 66. Yes, well, that's when he founded the, the thing. Batman that I do out, know. Right? That's the year Batman showed up on TV. Hint, 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 the Dark Knight. Yeah. It's oh, all by tied the, There's no, no portion Trek. of the system. You know, people always come in and say, how did you know that event was, was a fake? And if I told them the truth, they wouldn't believe me because it's all freaking fake. If it's part of the system <laughs> that we use to be modern, it's freaking fake. It's Fugazi. <laughs> Fakakta. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh by the way, I, 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 this doesn't surprise me at all with the satanic stuff because uh, look at like uh, JPL and all that stuff, you know, I mean, the, they were all into the, the freaking occult-ish uh, wanker, what's his Absolutely. name, Crawley stuff. That they, They're all yeah. wanking each other yeah, off, too. Oh, I'm going to summon this, that, and the other critter. Creepy Crawley. Oh, it just always was way, so ridiculous to me, you know? It's like, they're what are they doing, humping goats? The, uh, well. the last section <laughs> what? He's asking if they were humping goats, and I'm saying, yeah, don't probably. laugh it off, because they yeah. probably were. No, exactly. And in this last section, by the way, part three... Uh, we have uh, them quoting Heinrich, which is a uh, take of Heinrich, which is home Henry. king. So there's your king kill again. Right. And it's also Henry. Uh, it's a play of Czech version of Henry. Yep. Uh, it's the power idea. And then there's a ham crossover because one of them is, what is it, H-A-I-M? It's basically ham with an extra Heim. letter. Yeah. Uh-huh. Again. It's just slavery yeah. with extra steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Morty. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm not making yeah. a pun there. That's actually what it is. <laughs> it's going to point out slavery. the obvious. That's yeah. a high, high neck. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, an allusion to the head once again. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, I think this last portion just uh, rattles off some of the, the better observations, the better cases that NICAP has recorded that this guy has taken an interest in. And is using this as an example of what a quality case would be, and this is his argument as to this is the unexplained stuff, and uh, you know it's it's likely that uh, there's an extraterrestrial element to this and that kind of thing. Well, that's just putting uh, programming in there in the mid '60s, then. 
Right. That's what this is. This whole thing is is the the programming narrative. But if you go through and look at some of the names of the witnesses, another witness, P.T. Scattergood. <laughs> I love these freaking names. I don't think we need Twilight language to get that one. Yeah, first witness, uh, J.A. Gaslin, like, you know, gaslighting. I mean... <laughs> It's hilarious. Let's jump down to 27 where it says variations of sightings with time because this might actually have something that's not quite ridiculous. It appears that the UFO phenomenology, phenomen, yeah, am I saying that right? Phenomenology has been with us Mm -hmm. from the earliest times. In the last 25 years, however, there seems to be a drastic increase in the number of sightings. It is practically impossible to estimate the number of worldwide sightings because of the lack of suitable data collection means. In the United States, the principal depositories are currently the Air Force, NICAP, and APRO. It is estimated that currently these sources together receive about 2,000 reports per year. Since only about one sighting in 10 is reported, the number of sightings is about 20,000. But of these, 80 to 95% are not interesting, leaving us with only 1,000 to 4,000 worthwhile sightings per year for North America. Now, wait a second. How the hell would they know that that, that's how many are being reported or not? (laughs) Because it's all based on the fact that no one ever sighted Dick before Kenneth Arnold flew his plane (laughs) that morning. So they can do whatever they want, I think. Um, no, this with, is based on the very reliable science of vaccine science, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is all Numbers. for ape, ape eggs, right? It's Apro. Apro, there you go. NICAP and your Apro. <clears throat> what else? Air Force. They're, those are your principal depositories. Yeah, and they're call, they call these incidents flaps. Yes. Well, even the name of what we're talking about cracks me up. Extraterrestrial? There's some extraterrestrial out there somewhere, folks. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> We got it all here. We may not know about all of it. That's probably or it could just be, like, you know, extra land. So it could be extra land they're not telling us about. So that's extra Terra. Well, see, yeah, this is a lot like talking about extra cocaine. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, in in one way it is because there's no such thing as extra cocaine. <laughs> but in another way, what if there's a continent we don't know about and there really is an advanced air force there? So they truly are extra extra terrestrial. Yeah, right. They're not lying, sort of. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we're, we're in Revelation of Method, so someone should be handing us the user's manual before long. Right. You mean, or well, I told so. you so? It would get it would get dismissed as ridiculous, of course. The oh, craziest man. conspiracy theory ever. If they came out with a, a 10-page document, just, over, uh, just an overview of the truth, these are the things that actually are happening. Uh, I think even we would be surprised a little bit at some of it, but overall people would look at it and just dismiss it immediately and go, <laughs> okay, it's the craziest thing I ever heard. All right, so this next part, well, I guess we could do this here, and then we'll jump down some more and see if there's any more goodies. In addition to the background of reports more or less constantly flowing in, occasional periods of intense activity are also noted. One such period was October 1954 over most of France. NICAP lists a number of these flaps, and that's spelled F-L-A-P-S, whatever that's supposed to mean. Sometimes they are very localized, covering only a small portion of a state for a period of a few weeks. APRO concludes, on the basis of the reports available to them, that the patterns of appearance follow phases. Atomic test areas and installations in the late 1940s and early 1950s, 
rivers, reservoirs, and bodies of water in the late 50s and early 60s, and now electrical distribution systems. Convincing evidence to support this hypothesis has not been published. However, if the hypothesis were true, it would certainly raise a lot of questions. All right, this is not very exciting. Let's go down. While most UFOs are silent, some have made sounds described as hissing, rushing, swishing, humming, whirring, whining, droning, like thunder, like shotgun, and a series of staccato explosions. Just like my kids. <laughs> In the past, the absence of sonic booms from supersonic UFOs bothered many scientists. It appears now that that problem might be overcome by surrounding the craft by a corona discharge, which corona. incidentally would be a luminous blue, blue glow around the object. Really, that's interesting. I will purposely not comment much on occupants, except to say that there are a few, very few, reasonably reliable and carefully investigated reports of UFO occupants. For the time being, I would prefer to concentrate on reports of the objects. However, as the frequency of reliable occupants reports is so low. I have no bias one way or the other along these lines. If UFOs are of extraterrestrial origin, they may or may not be manned. If manned, one should expect an occasional appearance. Readers more interested in this aspect of UFOs are referred to reference 24. Well, great. You know that this document would get banned today because it would have to be called womaned, not manned. Right. <laughs> All right, let's jump down to part five because, man, I thought this document would be more exciting. Uh, UFOs, how to proceed and why. So here's a quote from Laplace. We are so far from knowing all the forces of nature and the various modes of their action that it is not worthy of a philosopher to deny phenomena only because they are inexplicable in the present state of our knowledge. The harder it is to acknowledge the existence of phenomena, the more we are bound to investigate them with increasing care. Hmm. Laplace's remarks are certainly as true and significant for us today as for his contemporaries. In the preceding essays, I have suggested that there exists a class of phenomena rather widely occurring today and perhaps since earliest times that is elusive, puzzling, and often at variance with known scientific and technical experience. What are we going to do about it? What should what we to do? What can we do about it? J.F. MacDonald suggests that the UFO phenomenon lies somewhere in the following categories of explanation. The first one, hoaxes, fabrications, and frauds. Report files contain examples of these. Investigators believe about 5% of all reports made are in this category. Detailed study, however, usually uncovers such reports. Numero de hallucinations, mass hysteria, and rumor phenomena. Present understanding of psychology does not admit many of the significant reports to be explained in this way. Trace, misinterpretations of well-known physical phenomena, meteorological, astronomical, optical, etc. By far the largest percentage of reports fall in this category. Study by an experienced investigator can usually identify these. Number four, Poorly understood physical phenomena, rare electrical or meteorological effects, plasmas. Certainly a distinct possibility in a number of cases, it is a category worthy of careful study. Some of the most interesting cases, however, have sufficient observational detail to eliminate this possibility. I am referring to reports of unambiguously machine-like objects. Number five, advanced technologies, test vehicles, satellites, 
re-entry effects. Again, some reports can be attributed to this cause, but most cannot. Six, poorly understood psychic phenomena. Ah, this is interesting. Psychic projections, archetypal images, parapsychological, yeah, parapsychological phenomena, etc. It is difficult to comment on this possibility because of the current lack of knowledge of parapsychology. While a small number of UFO reports do exhibit aspects of parapsychological phenomenology, general relationships have yet to be convincingly demonstrated. Number seven, extraterrestrial probes. All right, here we go. A possibility commonly held by the public and commonly rejected by scientists. Professor McDonald believes a number of sightings are best explained by this hypothesis. Oh, he believes in the aliens. Number eight. Of course he does. Messengers of salvation and occult truth. Ooh. This explanation is listed because of the nature of certain reports, particularly contact reports, reports involving communication of UFO occupants and the witnesses, and because of the historical aspects of the phenomenology. Perhaps to play it safe, an additional category should be listed. Nine, other. Well, that's, that's a good category. I like other. <laughs> Clearly, the explanation of UFOs will interest someone. Psychologists have an interest in one, two, three, and six. Theologians in category eight. Scientists in four and seven. Therefore, whatever the explanation, it is a problem of at least average interest. If by chance the explanation is seven or even eight and possibly six, the value to society would be profound and significant. In this sense, an identification of the phenomenon would be a task of highest potential urgency. How might it be done? Because of the transient nature of UFOs, we cannot expect to have the interested scientist rush to the spot to make his own observations. Reports so far accumulated, however, show that UFOs sometimes appear frequently in areas for a short period of time, a so-called flap. One characteristic of the flap is a larger percentage of sightings of objects at low levels than one normally obtains. If the reporting and analysis system were responsive enough, men and instruments could be dispatched when a flap was recognized with a reasonable hope of making first-hand observations. All right, and there's more suggestions down below. <laughs> We're getting low on time here. Anybody want to want to have some fun here? Tavistock, look at the Tavistock nature of, you know, well, these guys will have an interest in point one, two, and three. You know, they're, they're casting a broad net here. But it reminds me of the role of entertainment using the old satanic four-pillar idea that Bowie brought to us in his music. Uh, He told all the people who followed him as if he were a god and hung on his every word that there was a star man waiting in the sky and he'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'll (laughs) blow our minds, right? Um, There there it is. You're you're not an adult. You'll never be an adult. And by the way, that was, what, the 60s or 70s when he said that? So we still haven't grown up enough to keep our minds from being blown by that logic. Hugh Jack Nicholson, you know, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) They keep hiding the truth. Yeah. I I did find it interesting how um, he refused to comment on um, uh, psychic phenomena. We we just don't know anything about that. So not not at all. Just going to pass over. Yeah, we don't we don't know anything about that. Extraterrestrial probes, however, that he thinks is the best explanation for this hypothesis. Into the probes, absolutely. And then after at the end of this, he says, "Well, perhaps to play it safe, we'll we'll add other. <laughs> you're you're going to play it safe after you push the idea of extraterrestrial. And then um, there's everything else. <laughs> yeah. We'll put that into its own category. Right. 
it's uh, again fascinating because of the way it's placed in a much more colloquial than academic uh, format, which would indicate to me the intention to get this sort of floated out uh, into the into the public under the uh, illusion uh, that it is some sort of secret document, right? So the people would have secret knowledge if one of their friends uh, just sort of, oh, they left a doc, you know, they left a copy uh, from the Xerox machine uh, or the. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> before the Xerox, you had the the uh, Ditto machine, right? Uh, so left one of those copies out. That's the kind of thing that it, it, it seems to me is that it's written in such a colloquial um, way, unlike most of these think tank uh, academic papers, uh, which are done with this very occluded language. They're just laying it out pretty direct, and they do spend an awful lot of time. We didn't really go over it, uh, but they spend a good portion of the document with the firsthand accounts, which are, again, written in a very colloquial manner, um, designed to, I would say, to peak interest uh, of people who thought, again, they were getting some sort of, you know, real government insight into things. And most of the drawings are very, very poor hand drawings. Um, most of the data seems to me, I mean, this is e even by those standards uh, would have been pretty, pretty basic stuff and not something you expect uh, from the RAND Corporation uh, generally. So I, I find it an interesting material uh, in that regard, especially the um, the appearance of all those relationships to King Kill 33 and, of course, the numerology and interesting phraseology. It does appear, um, if nothing else, that they're passing. There's stuff in here that only the initiated would really understand. Well, let's let's point another one out. You know, this is an official document. They chose the word flap. The sixth standard definition of flap is a state of excitement or agitation, something that generates an uproar. There's your flap, folks. Mm -hmm. There you go. I'm going to have a flappuccino. Um, I like lattes. Damn right. You're, you're a little late. You're, I don't you think can that's going to cause an uproar. A brave latte, a breve latte. It'll cause a flap. It'll be a coffee flap. There you go. <laughs> and then I you can, can sue. live with a coffee flap. Yeah, and then you can sue. It flapped all over me. <clears throat> so, yeah. Again, a fascinating document. Thanks, Wayne, for, uh, for sharing that with us. Oh, oh, yeah. There's, there's even a little these. form at the end that of this. That was fun. Guys. Yeah, that was great. At the end of this. I was just we should fill it out that. and send it in. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should go on Stellarium. I think we're 55 years too late there, brother. <laughs> are, are you sure Project Blue Book won't collect this? Yeah. I, I think University they've moved on to Blue Beam. Yeah, they, they uh, attached the term blue to all UFO subject matter. Right, because it's the magnetic idea, the negative pole, the feminine idea. Um, you'll notice that early on in the Internet, um, there was a thrill with anything blue uh, before all the E's and the I's got attached to everything. Uh, it was all E everything because it was electronic for a while there, and then it became I everything because of Apple. Um, and there's a story behind all that. But you will notice that very rarely do you see the red idea associated with technology in the way that we're seeing it used here. And as we pointed before we came on, all the controlling countries of the world um, have red, white, or blue, or all of them, uh, for the most part, in their flag, with the exception of the Vatican, because they have the keys. They don't need to mess around. And um, don't forget that IBM was uh, big blue. Big and then blue. You had, and then you had yep. deep blue, which was their uh, their first attempt at AI, was deep Sucking blue. Yen, right. Right. So, so there mm -hmm. it is. It's never red, is it? It's never the masculine, energetic, positive polarity it's the opposite magnetic idea feminine idea negative idea and polarity going on uh constantly with technology right. 
and they always they always attach this stuff like i said to uh the ufo idea and it's also been said by uh various researchers in the ufology community that anything that has the moniker blue relates to extraterrestrial technology well (laughs) we know there's different reasons for attaching the the blue uh coloration to these different projects and these different ideas but uh it's it's definitely a true thing that they're they're attached to these ideas it's a frequency idea. These colors, like when Jason and I did the mystical world of color, we should, we need to do another one, Jason. Mm. Um, it's a frequency. So when you know that if you speak a word, pluck a guitar string, and you can have a cymatic device, it will form, create form right in front of your eyes. What people miss is not only is that showing you magically how form is made, all form is done by vibration, period, that's it. Um, if you could take a color, you can associate a color with a note or a frequency. Every time you did a shade of blue, it would give you form, a pattern, a cymatic pattern of some sort. And mm-hmm. it's even to the point where notice like the, the blue that shows up in the Israeli flag. What is that over where, where Giancarlo was? Is it Savoy? I forget the Savoy flag or something like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Same, mm-hmm. same color of blue going on. These things are not on accident. They're back to the natural sciences, the negative polarity, and they're using these natural truths to influence people who have basically been made to be babies because they don't understand a damn thing about the natural world anymore. If it's not science, they don't know about it, and science is a lie. Right, and another aspect of the color blue that we could attach to it is it's a color of mystery, uh, out of the blue. It came mm-hmm. from out of the mm-hmm. blue. Uh, the yep. deep blue sea and the deep blue sea it occult something underneath uh, the clear blue sky uh, you know all these different ideas associated yep. with an yep. air of mystery and that's what this is kind of intended to do there's the intention behind attaching the color blue to these things yeah. right yeah, and it's the subconscious uh, mind too yeah as L.C. King even was pointing out uh, in the chat, there you know, many times they'll combine the red and the blue for purple, of course, the color royalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the, the modern thing, right, is uh, ultraviolet, right? So even going uh, sort of beyond that. So into the ultraviolet spectrum, uh, the you know, recent movie, it's, uh, again, given that, uh, that sense of um, high-intensity uh, look. So uh, it's fascinating. Again, the, all these things, um, I did some study for uh, a little period of time about um, before the modern music, the way it was written, uh, they had, uh, they called chords by colors. Uh, and uh, much of it had to do with that and uh, expressly cymatic stuff. Uh, they, they kind of occlude it now, but it was expressly done with um, the natural Pythagorean uh, formulas and uh, the theory of you know how they uh, relate to one another as ratios. Uh, absolutely written out by uh, platonic solids. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff, and much of it's it, lost now. Key, so key to the working, and you know, even the color purple, as you just mentioned. If you were about to do another Walter Russell episode with the president of the Walter Russell, um, uh, I guess it's university is the proper word, or philosophy.org is, is their site. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stuff that Walter Russell did from his 39 days in illumination, there's a lot of artwork and other things, but he always uses the red and the blue, the negative and the positive, the male and the female. And in the center, where those two things come together, what do you get? Well, in a real world where we learn with crayons and not computers, red and blue are going to give you purple. So not only is it the idea of mastery, that's actually an extension beyond the foundation. What it actually is demonstrating is polarity has come together, male, female, negative, positive, however you want to slice it. 
Um, and so almost you could say that it is equipose um, or the still. Uh, it's where it's where the idea of being a master would have to foundationally settle itself. And when you begin to know these things, you know, we can go back through history where there's accounts of, well, they only got purple from the certain snail. And by the way, if you weren't the royal bloodline and you weren't, they'd put you to death. That's how deeply they knew about the meaning. When Jason and I went into the color, we got into dyeing. If you do a serious research on color, you will understand that back in the day, dyeing was a big damn deal. Now, it turns out that the pure white fleece of wool is always the gold standard because it is the most dyeable. And so what they knew was that a pure white fleece, which is why the Lamb of God is always that representation, because that purity of white is the highest spiritual idea in not only what we think of, but its vibration. So when you come along with a dye, the dyer knew that he was about to change the vibrational reality of whatever he died so the problem became how do i make that cloth become the perfect match to this dye that i want it to be this color and that was an art form back in the day and the gold standard was wool because it was the easiest of cloths to dye um, so these things are all lost in time now but the, the principles that drove these arts are what we have been retarded from knowing and uh, you pretty much blew blew my mind, crew, when you did the transition, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to study and do another <laughs> one of my episodes on it. Uh, <laughs> when you said it's so key, and I went, oh, oh my god, the color of the music and the chords, guys. What what what? When you choose a tonic, uh, what do you call that in music? You're choosing the what key are we playing in? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, key. You have key, so key, color, cymatic, sound. Um, vibration. Oh, you're, you're talking about the root. Is that what you're alluding? Yeah, to? but you say okay. what the the root. What what key are we playing in? Right. Uh, of course. Oh, have, I see what you're getting at. So yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going exactly. With, so well, I'm going now with the idea of there being sound keys. Of course. Right. Uh, with vibration and uh, electromagnetic spectra, and then color. Uh, so if we put this together, uh, I'm about to jump into some crazy study now well, <laughs> you, well, there, you just lit my fire That's, i'm like oh it's the key oh duh. Walter, walter russell did for us with the universal one because it gets to the point where even though we're in duality it's all because of one thing and that idea is the divinity that is god that is whatever you want to associate it with you and by the way that is the spark within you seek the kingdom of god within so if you're talking about a color you're already talking about music because there is a yep. musical pitch and you're already talking about a color and for that matter you're already talking about a frequency which could be electricity and so this is what's been baffled the I heard the there BS was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. <laughs> the baffled king composing Hallelujah. <laughs> there, there, there you go. And and who's gonna who's gonna tell someone that that's not true? Because it probably probably is true. I'm about to jump deep into that. And like I said, you just sent me sent me a whirling when you when you transitioned. You said so key, and I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> you just said it. Do you still have a copy of that old document that we drive part of our basis we should send that to baldini i Actually, go, should go to, have it go to archive.org and do a search for um cymatics and color or i'll have to look I, my my pdf library is so large um i'll look for it but i don't yeah. know i'd love that or I'll, I'll look at the uh, archive and see what i can come up with but yeah this is what's this is what's missing from our world because 
if if Jason and I did another movie, uh, I'm all about Ty Maddox, and this is why. This is what's one of the most important things that's missing. Um, why is it that we can't just simply go do a search or grab a book and have a complete cymatic library? Oh, look, this many cycles per second that we currently call hertz because they're hurting you uh, with their nonsense knowledge and the name of the guy who is a friend of Kennedy's who's tied to radio and the car hertz, by the way, just so everyone knows the construct level that we're talking. Um, why can't I look and say, oh, look, this is a five point uh, geometry with this particular cycles per second. And I know this corresponds with this color of green or blue or whatever it would be. And by the way, I also know that Venus is represented by its supposed orbit as making the pentagram. Every one of these things is proving what Russell said, the universal one. And if we had spent our whole lives knowing things like this, guess what? We'd be grown up and hard to fool. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to call it. Know how things work, <laughs> basically. <laughs> All right, Crow. I'm going to save you for last to uh, talk about <clears throat> Mr. Hoffman a little bit. Great to Baldini, take it away. What do you got going on coming up that you want to talk about while we uh, end this stream? Don't forget uh, to join Rose Triple Seven uh, at Rose Triple Seven Two channel tomorrow morning, uh, very early six a.m. on the West Coast and uh, nine a.m. on the East Coast for the Poppycock Report as we break it all down. And I'll be, of course be back all this weekend. Uh, unintended consequences uh, Saturday morning at nine Pacific, uh, Sunday morning seven a.m. Uh, ancient wisdom for a modern world. And then at 5 p.m., back again with Wee McCroy, uh, Jr., uh, for Solar Scripture at 5 p.m. Pacific time. That's on Sunday. So all weekend long, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays with Rose. Wayne? All right. Well, just like Baldini just mentioned there, I'll be uh, with him again uh, Sunday night to Solar Scriptura. And uh, I just uh, recorded an episode of Glitch in the Code with uh, Richard Willett. Uh, he should be posting that sometime later this week. That'll be coming out. And uh, I'm almost done with my new book. So that should be coming mm. uh, within the next two weeks or so. So uh, looking forward to getting that out there. All right. So Crow, in less than an hour, I guess that would be Easter time, right? You'll be dropping yep. our episode on uh, Mr. Hoffman. So go ahead. Let's talk about that for a minute before we call it. King Kill, but I was going to say, Baldini, I'll write the theme song for Poppycock Report. We could do like, oh, Poppycock, oh, Poppycock. <laughs> I never knew. I knew you. Uh, did you know that uh, Trey Clark from Trey Clark Theories did, uh, he did a version of, um, cop, uh, what, no, uh, Rocky Top. <laughs> That's the theme song now, but I, I'd love to hear yours. So, yeah, we'll just pass it around. <laughs> I, I just I'd love it that. It, it's simple. It's oh, Poppycock, oh, sure. Poppycock. I never knew. I knew you. That's beautiful. That's uh, a triple entendre. It is. Uh, anyhow, tonight in about, where are we here? I don't know, coming up on 50 minutes, actually a minute after midnight, Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time, NYC Time, I will release episode 254. Uh, we were graced with an hour from Michael A. Hoffman II, as he's known in his earlier work, Michael Hoffman <laughs> and his more up-to-date publishing, mostly to do with the Vatican and uh, centering in on the Catholic Church usury and how all that went to hell, literally in a handbasket, how and why they went to the dark side, how that occurred, um, what was mixed in. But what we're going to center in on is this man actually co-authored King Kill 33. And we were fortunate enough to meet Alana Freeland, who had actually edited some of the James Shelby Downard work, who is the man who is the basis of King Kill 33, 
Without those tools, I'm not sure that we would all be standing here uh, as just average human minds understanding a damn thing about how the tessellated game port that encompasses everywhere now. There's no portion of the system that isn't false, and these these two men gave us the keys. He went on to write um, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, which can still be picked up uh, for a whisper. Don't be fooled when you see that book listed for $900. That is the mainstream trying to prevent you from understanding that you can obtain a copy. Um, one of the main things is, before we met him, getting a complete copy of King Kill 33 was nigh on impossible. You got PDFs that have been switched around, that have been truncated, all these. Well, we know the man now, and he's got the original unblemished versions of the essay, which I just received in the mail today, by the way. So that's the big deal. In hour one, Jason and I go over a bunch that you can know about the work, and in hour two, we have the man himself. All right. Yeah, it it the interview with Mr. Hoffman is only an hour, but it, it's a two-hour program. Uh, Mr. Hoffman being who he is, we certainly weren't putting that out for free, so that's only going to be on the website for members, just to make that very clear. Uh, well, that's another thing you should know about King Kill 33. There was an a, a publisher named Adam Palfrey, um, and he actually did stand up, whether he was involved in Revelation of Method or not, whatever you want to think. Uh, he got it out, but early, I, I don't know, mid to late 80s, they began censoring the crap out of King Kill, and it wasn't long before you couldn't get copies at all. And even now, when I did searches, never once was I made aware of revisionisthistory.org, which is Mr. Hoffman's site, where you can actually still go pick up a copy of King Kill, and it comes to you. To me, it's one of my prized possessions because it, uh, my, my wife opens this up and she said, who's handing you all these old Xerox copy college <laughs> notes? So it comes to you in a little like old ring Xerox copy format, but it is the original. Um, and these are, I'm not going to say the keys to the kingdom, but if, if you read these things uh, more than once and you don't, under, like people are still coming to me saying, how did you know this event was fake? Um, and I feel like saying because somebody's lips were moving. That's how all-encompassing the system we are facing at this moment is. Right now, Australia is locked down to a draconian measure that blows the mind, Melbourne specifically. The omnibus, which is going to get passed, or they're going to try to pass it, is actually permitting pre-arrest and indefinite incarceration. That's where we've come. There is no portion of the systems that we use for a modern life that are not encompassed in what is laid down in King Kill. If you are using money, if you are going to stores, if you are driving a car, if you have insurance, if you all these things are part and parcel of separating the divine human mind from that which matters. And by the way, the Bible told you the truth when they told you money was the root of all evil because there's where it starts. And those are the jokers who started to take control, all those at least centuries ago, maybe millennia, hard to know. Um, but these things are a big deal, and I would urge people to go to revisionisthistory.org, get copies of King Kill, get okay, copies. Dot, dot org, I was confused because right. dot com is Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. O-R-G, well, you're not going to get a search return for it, by the way, and uh, half the time you're going to be told it's a dangerous site. They'll <laughs> do anything you can, but you need to, to yeah. pony up a few bucks, get these things, and safe. make sure they're safe. And this is the kind of thing, like I got a Tesla device recently, and I got these these texts. I'm already planning, when I die, who am I going to hand these things to? 
So 50 years from now, they'll have a chance at, at having access to these things, which are on the chopping block. If things continue on the way they are, these are the very ideas that will be removed from the dialectic. And by the way, you can't search them now. Had we not been fortunate enough to make this connection, um, we wouldn't have been able to get original copies. People are asking where to get it. So uh, if you really want the original thing, you got to get it from Michael Hoffman. But there are PDF versions floating around. However, it seems to have kind of got a bit of a the chop chop as the years went by. So you got to be careful which version you download. Well, Ro Rose, if you're listening, can you put in revisionisthistory.org and just put up the book page? I know Rose already knows it. And don't be fooled. It's an old school website. Um, I think Mr. Hoffman, Jason and I are guessing he's in his upper 60s, probably past mid-60s. I, mid -60s. I think he was 65 or he, thereabout. Yeah, I'm guessing he's got a little more than 10 years on me. But on the left-hand side of the pages that I've seen, there's those old-fashioned PayPal links to the books. And this is the way to do it because if you go to Amazon – uh, some of our followers went to Amazon and Secret Society Psychological Warfare. They sent me a screenshot that it was listed for $900. Yeah. When I did a search for James Shelby Downer, there's a single text by Adam Palfrey under a pseudonym, which is excerpts from King Kill and other dialogue around that. That thing was going for 600 bucks. When it finally went below 200 I bit my cheek and I ponied up. To find out what I know about that text. So the point is, go to revisionisthistory.org.org and and go direct to the source and and pay the man for his work, yep. um, because what he handed us is to me among there's certain things that I've bumped into that have taught me so much in the world. There are very few single books that did as much as these. Usually, it's a decade of research and a series of books or research. This is one stop shopping. And I, I would say minimally you need a copy of the original King Kill 33, which is basically a Xerox copy and a ring binder. Um, and the other thing is Michael Hoffman's later book, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, which should be less than 20 bucks, I'm guessing. But in that neighborhood, he is the only person who meaningfully reported that a black obelisk showed up in Seattle on September 11, 2001, proving that the hotel – at Ground Zero, which was openly admitted was designed as the obelisk from 2001, ties all the way back to Kubrick and Hollywood, everything up through it that went on that he touched all the way to that fateful day. There is no portion of this system. So the next time someone wants to ask me, how do you know, I'm simply going to start saying because I breathe oxygen. <laughs> mm -hmm. 38 bucks in the U.S. for King Kill 33 worth every damn penny absolutely you can't, you can't get that information as far as i know from anywhere else except joining a club and then making it high enough in that secret society to be accepted which i'm guessing most of you don't have the bloodline to do it um or the lack of morals <laughs> i'm looking at the he's got the tetragrammaton magic as well and i'm I'm like, I'm going to buy every one of his books, man. <laughs> you, you got it. And, th and then when you – see, this is what I do. When I have texts that reach a certain level, like the Universal One by Walter Russell, like King Kill, there's a few. In my mind, these are gold star things, and they need to be preserved. And so I view them as among my most special possessions, even though it's a $10 book or a $20 book. It doesn't matter. I value it more highly than my mandolins, which cost a lot more because in the future, people will still be able to get mandolins, <laughs> basically. 
All right. We ready to sign off here for the eve? Well, we can sign off, but i got to keep my eyes peeled for another 45 minutes. Yes, you do. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it. I hope you ev- everyone enjoyed the uh, talk on UFOs. I think we goofed off more than anything tonight, but that's all right. We had a good time. Hope everyone enjoyed it. We'll see you soon. Take care.